Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. Our mission is to help fathers be present by sharing valuable ideas and concepts that will equip men to be the best father possible. Being a good father is hard work, but it is so vitally important. We believe that dads matter, and that's why this podcast is for you. So gear up, dads, and get ready. It's time to start climbing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Present Fathers podcast. Uh, On tonight's episode, we will be talking about leadership, and we have a very special guest with us today, John Michael Clark. Um, we are very excited for him to be a part of our podcast today. He actually runs his own podcast, which we'll let him introduce himself and get into, but um, really excited for tonight. It's uh, going to be a great episode. I think as fathers, the, the role of leadership is extremely important to what we do, um, both in our marriage and as, as a father. So uh, I'm really looking forward to our discussion tonight, gentlemen. And um, yeah, John Michael, why don't you go ahead and just Introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about uh, your program, and then also being the pastor of your church, and uh, we'll kind of just take it from there. What's up, brothers? Glad to be with you guys tonight. So I am John Michael Clark. I go by JM or John Michael. I like to keep it complicated like that. But I've been married to Natalie, my dream girl, for 15 years. We have three boys. We're raising them out here in Virginia on the Chesapeake Bay. We love and follow King Jesus. I'm the pastor to Salt Church. And what I'm doing, like you just referenced, I coach through a company called The Family Captain uh, Coaching Practice that I started where I help Christ-following husbands in family leadership and sex and marriage, two things that I don't think we've gotten right a lot of times, but the church should be thriving in. So we prioritize it. We make it really practical so that guys can level up, so that men can thrive, so that women can thrive, so that children can thrive, so that God can get glory, so that kids can be blessed, and so men can feel like truly the the men that they were called to be. So I love that work. It's my passion, part of my life's calling. And uh, it's what brought us together here tonight. Awesome. Well, we are definitely uh, blessed to have you on and appreciate you being very flexible on kind of a last minute scheduling today. So um, yeah, just really excited for this. Um, Brandon, Dustin, want, you guys want to give us a little, any updates since last we met a, a whopping like four days ago? <laughs> yeah, man, just been staying busy with work. Um, getting ready for turkey day you know uh ready to see my team whoop on my brother's team and uh very excited (laughs) about that so you know the egg bowl uh yeah so that's that's about all i got going just get ready for that awesome dustin i've been in training for thanksgiving uh for the past week um i'm uh, stretching my stomach out um to uh accommodate the massive amount of food that i'm gonna take in (laughs) so that's one of my primary area of focus this week nice nice very good. Yeah, we're hosting at our place, so we were Ooh. scrambling and cleaning and getting everything. I prepped the turkey; it's all ready to go. Pop it in in the morning. So, yeah, very nice. Looking forward to it. Obviously, uh, Thanksgiving is a it's a great time about the food and everything, but it's also a great time to kind of uh, reflect on, you know, all the all the blessings we have, especially here Absolutely. in America. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to it, and it's always a good time with family. Um, all right, 
with that, let's let's hop into the book. I'm really excited about this. Leadership is something uh, you know, it's been a big part of my life. So I'm kind of uh itching to get into the book and um just a little bit of context for everyone who may not have read it. Um, it's about Shackleton's uh expedition, which set out in nineteen fourteen to Antarctica. Uh, and they endeavored to be the first team to cross uh, to the South Pole on land um, across the entire continent, uh, which had never been done up to that point. Uh, long story short, though, they get stuck in the ice on their ship. They literally live on their ship for 12 or months, yeah, uh, in the ice flows. And then eventually they get so intense it starts destroying the ship, so they have to abandon ship. And they basically spend, I think, upwards of six to seven months surviving on the ice in Antarctica with virtually no supplies. They're having to hunt for food. Um, and through that time, the book really highlights how different members of the crew, the captain, as well as um, kind of some of the lieutenants and, you know, subordinate leadership, um, they don't really panic. They don't lose their heads. And when, especially in times where the subordinates had to kind of rise to the occasion, they seized the opportunity and they did rise to the occasion. Um, and through that experience, you know, ultimately all of them survived. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, really high high notes here on the on there's a lot goes on but um extremely challenging situation as i was reading the book it just you kept thinking oh this has got to be the hardest point for them and then it gets harder and then it gets worse and it worse and worse and just <laughs> on and on and just one thing after the other but um really really great topic or at least a, a foundation to use as examples of leadership um and john michael we're really excited to compare and contrast that with um leadership in kind of a military expeditionary sense and then how we can apply those principles with, with the work you do with husbands um, in our own lives and as fathers and um, just have a discussion on that. So with that, I'll, I'll kick it over to you, John Michael, because it's actually you who suggested Brandon read this book. And then through Brandon, we have now all read it. So I'd yeah. love for your initial thoughts on it and kind of what struck you initially and then uh, maybe some parallels that you can, can share with us from what you do today uh, with what you learned through the book. Yeah, well, I'll just I'll just reemphasize what you just said. George gave it like to say that they went through some difficult times is like the understatement of the millennium. So it he's right. It gets worse, and you're like, wow, this is the pinnacle of misery. And then somehow it it's it's ridiculous. It's unbelievable how bad it keeps getting. And you're like, surely this is the end. Surely, like these guys live. You know, that's the spoiler. Everybody lives, which is amazing. But yeah, I was so inspired in reading the book. And through this process of reading the book, I saw, I saw Shackleton's mastery, and I saw, of course, the men talked about him this way. They they called him the greatest leader God ever put on earth. That's a paraphrase of how they said it, but they had such immense respect for the man, and you can tell they all understood what they went through. They all understood the absurdity of it all, and at the same time, we see Shackleton leading his men with what I teach are the three legs of leadership. We see compassion. We see responsibility and we see the authority, but such a masterful wisdom in all that he's doing and the ways that he's doing it. So he obviously, this was not his first rodeo. Um, he, he didn't just get thrown into a difficult situation and think I would thrive in that. Well, Shackleton had been thriving for a long time. Uh, there were a lot of things he had been doing right. So he was already the, the appropriate man for the job when he reached this most difficult moment, which is what enabled them to thrive. But uh, so many little lessons, I mean, on every page where you're just paying attention and noticing, ooh, you could have gone this direction, you could have gone that direction, but Shackleton wisely navigates the middle of the road there with lots of personalities, anybody that's been around, you know, in all male culture, whether it's a football team or a military unit or anything else, you know, 
Like there's a lot of egos there and that can be valuable. That can be a blessing where we're accomplishing things, we're charging, we're challenging one another and competing. And at the same time, the stakes are very high in some of those scenarios. So masterful, masterful job of leadership. And I, I, whenever I read a book, I try and approach it, whatever filter the, the author intended, I almost try and dismiss. And I approach almost everything I read because of what I do and because of what my passions are. I put a lens on the front of the book and say, this is about family leadership. And that's how I approach it. So I'm able to extract uh, a lot of things from a lot of strange places because of that. I like that. That's a, that's an interesting way to kind of, you know, take even a book that's not necessarily educational and, and make it a experience that you can benefit from, um, you know, professionally or, or otherwise. Um, Brandon and Dustin, let's kick it around to you guys. Initial thoughts on the book and, um, you know, just on what really stuck out, maybe the top two or three things that really stuck out to you reading through it. Yeah, I, I think for me personally, I thought the book was just absolutely incredible. And, and, and like you guys had said before, each new chapter had me almost not believing what I was reading. Um, and the way that Lansing tells the story makes you almost feel like the actual cold temperatures the, the crew felt like it was like in, in the crushing of the ship and the eerie sounds that sounded like, you know, something dying um, slowly and how it was just pressing on the, the mental capacity of the men. Um, I just thought that was such a profound thing um, because, you know, these guys are in negative uh, degree weather by themselves with nobody coming to help them. Like it's just them. They have to rely on each other. It's, it's Ernest and 27 other men. Uh, and so for me, that was just such a, a daunting thing to think about. Like if you were there and nobody was coming to save you, that's, that's a pretty, pretty crazy thing. It's like, what have you done to train for something like this? You know, um, I, I honestly just felt myself talking about um, the story for days after I finished reading the book. Um, yeah, th there's so much. I, I think the biggest key point, though, I, I saw was I was struck by like the general positive outlook that was conveyed by the crew throughout the entire ordeal. Um I think um, just how Lansing described that most of the men found solace in the, the seemingly like monotonous day to day life, uh, even when their survival chances were bleak. I think that was just kind of that outlook was one of the most important things that was happening uh, for them. And I think Ernest was one of the, the genius level people that made sure that that was one of the few things that stayed uh, intact uh, through the situation. So that's kind of what I picked up on it. Yeah, I, I think um, men in particular, we need challenge and we need struggle. Um, you know, as I was reading it and, and hearing their attitudes, it reminded me of stories of World War II, where uh, British people, after a few months of being bombed by the Germans, just went about their day and looked up and said, oh, there goes another bomb. And they went to the store and they did what they did. Our ability to adapt um, and, uh, you know, handle situations that don't seem like it'd be possible. Um, that's what we're built for. And uh, no man is an island. I don't think these these guys could have done it by themselves. You know, if it had just been one or two of them and they didn't have a system, um, they would not have lasted very long. But uh, they had everything they needed um, to succeed in that environment. And, uh, you know, seeing leadership succeed in, in, in an environment that extreme is is so heartening when we look at other challenges we have with leadership. Um, and, you know, we realized that those challenges are really good for us. Um, I know for me, I, I do have a child, so that's a challenge, obviously. But 
my life is in many ways very comfortable. And I think that is often to my detriment. I, I think, um, you know, some physical, emotional, mental struggles, not on the extreme level of, you know, freezing every day for, for a year. <laughs> but uh, I, I think those challenges um, really help us grow as men. Um, and, and they're really good for us. So reading that, and I guess in some ways, you know, living vicariously through through Shackleton and seeing the challenges he went through um, gave me some of that and, and inspired me to say, okay, um, if, if he can handle this, I can get through my little bit of cold in the operating room today. You know, I'm, I'm a little cold. I'll be all right. You know, I'll, I'll be warm in two hours. It'll, it'll be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so that, that, so, that says the me. man who lives in Florida. That's right. yeah. <laughs> 70 degrees is cold to you, right? So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I uh, actually took a bunch of notes on, you know, what really stuck out to me from leadership, but I don't want to just run through them all or whatever. But I think one of the the things that was really highlighted very well in the book, probably the top takeaway for me, because, you know, people talk about leadership all the time. I know people are real into Jocko Willink and all these other, mm -hmm. other guys who focus on, you know, extreme ownership and all these concepts, which to me is kind of just, that's been beaten into me heavily. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the thing that really isn't talked about a lot is interpersonal tact and emotional intelligence. And you, you guys talked about how, how you know happy the crew stayed. Well, there's actually, if I remember, two or three crew members who were essentially either willing to just call it quits and give up, or they were just extremely toxic, right? Always negative. Um, and so what stuck, struck, stuck out to me about Shackleton the most is realizing that um, you know a negative person, uh, misery loves company, right? And mm that that mentality can just spread like a, a cancer. And what he did was very, very smart uh, tactically to ensure that those who are who were still kind of in a good rhythm and and although they were struggling, um, you know, they, they hadn't despaired yet. Um, and so with some of these different people who were problematic, he shifted his uh, method of engaging with them. You know, some guys he, he had to yell at or whatever, but not yell, but like be very direct and, you know, kind of be on them. Other guys needed kind of a, you know, you, you have to tell them how great they are and kind of play to their ego and things like that. So um, those, those to me really stuck out as probably one of the, the most underrated facets of leadership um, because wherever you go, especially if you're leading a team, a large team, you're going to have a wide range of personalities and people mm -hmm. from different backgrounds. And so you have to be able to be, uh, perceptive to those different individuals, what makes them tick, what makes them excited or what, what are their struggles, those kinds of things. And then, you know, if some people are just truly very difficult and there's not really a whole lot you can do to change that. So you have to kind of insulate them away from the group and, and essentially mitigate against them. Other people you can kind of draw out, you know, better qualities from, and they just need a little teaching or coaxing. But um, I think the book really highlighted very well how Shackleton quickly identified those individuals who either needed kind of the coaxing or insulation um, and just masterfully did that. And, and so essentially one of them was super difficult, super toxic. Uh, he basically put him in his own tent. So he, he said, I'm the leader. I'll endure this, you know, toxic person and listen to his griping, but I won't let it, you know, poison my men. Um, mm -hmm. And to me, that was just one of the most immense decisions that he made that ultimately led to their survival. Um, because if you let that fester, um, you know, it, it just spreads. And it, I've seen it in the military, right, where, you know, one negative person con converts a whole platoon to just being uh, mm -hmm. you know, down and the end of the world and everything, right? So I think the reason they collectively kept a good mentality is because of his emotional intelligence about his crew and understanding how 
to adapt that. And I think that that highlights a great example for as a parent, right? Especially if you have multiple kids, all your kids are different. Your, your spouse is different. Your friends are different. You've got to work and adapt yourself to kind of meet the situation. So that stuck out to me. I'll pause. I know I'm rambling. Uh, John, Michael, I'd actually love to kind of segue from that into, you know, some other parallels you had between Shackleton's leadership and maybe what we can draw into fatherhood. Um, well, you guys are going to help me because it's been yeah. a long time since I've read it. So as y'all keep talking, I'm going, that's right. That's right. That's right. Um, but what you forgot to mention is Shackleton, I think I had all the guys take a love language quiz before they went on their journey and he had them all take the Enneagram. So he knew that's how he had such insight into everybody's situation. Um, no, you're right though. That's the thing that impressed me the most as well is the fact that this guy's paying attention. He's watching, he's learning people and he's focused on accomplishing the mission, which became the survival of his men. Like the, the original mission, it, it became early, obvious early on that, all right, that ain't happening. <laughs> but after a while, it was really obvious, okay, we've got to survive. And I think, you know, there's some advantage to a leader in a moment like that, even though the pressure is immense, is going to bring a, a perfect clarity. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it's not an excuse, but it's certainly easy for us. We've got plenty of distractions because we have plenty of comfort. Uh, when you remove those things, it makes, you know, it makes you have a healthy tunnel vision for what yeah. matters most. So I think we see that, but the way Shackleton rolls with it, forsakes his own ego forsakes his own comfort really because he loves his men. Um, it's a, it's an incredible thing. When I talk to clients about this stuff when we're navigating, you know, I'll have multiple guys and we're coaching through different scenarios. I say, Hey, for you, um, you know, and we work through something. I said, now, Zach, I would never tell you that because here's why that's different. And here's what I'm considering. And here's the context. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeff though, this is absolutely how, how you should proceed and move forward. So it's important to understand what you've got, understand your moment, understand your season, understand your mission. And that's true for fathers. You know, everybody's in a different season. You need to know the season of your household. You need to understand the times that you live in, in the world, but you need to understand the season of your household Well, your bros might be in a different season. You know, maybe they've got older kids. Um, maybe this current season is going to be daddy's got to finish this school. Maybe this current season is, uh, man, it's a season of sweetness and margin. Maybe this season, it doesn't matter what it is. The fact is you're the captain of the ship. It's your responsibility to identify it. And then once you can identify it, you can determine what the mission is. Now you, what you've determined what the mission is, now we can be deliberate so we don't drift through this thing. You know, sometimes the ice flows get a hold of you. That sucks. But otherwise, we want to be picking a destination. But we got to do that with knowledge, not just with, you know, a dartboard. Oh, I'm Absolutely. so guilty of that. I have a two-year-old right now, so I don't have a lot of free time. And I look at my friends with older kids and I go, oh, they've got all this free time. You know, it must be something wrong with the way I'm parenting or my relationship isn't fair. That makes so much sense. That really resonates with me. My season right now is that my time is about my young child because, I mean, he's going to take up more time than a, an older child. Um, yeah. And so reminding myself that is is really going to be key and saying that's OK that I don't have the free time to you know goof off like I used to in my 20s. That was a different season. Um, so, wow, that's that's really powerful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, man. And the cool thing, Dustin, is once you start to think on that more as you meditate on that in the coming days and take it to the Lord in prayer, maybe write about it a little bit, discuss it with your wife, it's going to give you even a joy in it rather than, ah, we'll get through this season. I don't mean that. I don't mean like, oh, when they're out of diapers or oh, when this, I mean like, <laughs> sure. oh, like this can be dope and this should be dope no matter what season we're in. 
We're going to make yeah. it dope. And uh, you, you're going to start to get excited about the ways you can maximize this moment rather than feeling jealous or bummed that we're here. It's going, own it. This is, this is where we are, and that's not a bad thing. The Lord's got us here. Now, how can we crush? How can we dominate? How can we make sure when the season is finished, we said, praise God, we did that faithfully. Not perfectly, but faithfully. Real quick, Brandon, Justin, sure, did sure, point, sure. Justin did point out that Shackleton, you know, interviewed each member of his expedition before they actually formed the expedition. So from the get go, he was trying to pay attention to different people's personalities. Sure. Well, and he found people whose love language is being freezing at all times. So he had a huge advantage there. I mean, they were, you know, they were good to go. I, I own physical touch. I think right, I yeah. think I certainly would have died through that experience. I hate the cold. <laughs> yeah, but going through the seasons, I think something that um, really resonated for me when I started really truly trying to become the best version of myself I could be as a husband or as a dad was accepting the consuming sense of responsibility in whatever season I was in. Um, having to accept that and know that the Lord has trusted me with these children and with this this woman and that mediocrity was just not acceptable. Um, you know, I've said it plenty of times before and I'll say it again, that comfort is where your your dreams and your ambitions and your motivations go to die. And I got comfortable. Uh, I said, well, I've been with her for X amount of years. It's like, I don't need to keep dating her. I don't need to keep doing this. It's like, no, absolutely. You have to, it's, it's a constant thing. And uh, you know, it's the same thing with your children. You have to constantly be intentional and that intentionality might have to change and it might have to adapt because uh, your kids will grow and their personalities will change and uh, situations in your life will change. So, yeah, I, I love that. I, I think that, um, that, that, that sense of responsibility in that, that season and that acceptance of it, like you said, can turn to pure joy. Um, and that's where I'm at. Like, I feel like I'm in the good old days. Like I'll look back and say, that was the prime of my life, you know? And so I'm catching myself moment to moment, just seeing how my kids are smiling and seeing how my wife is just, just enjoying everything, um, that I've worked hard for. Like, you know, on our most recent trip, I planned everything. Uh, I said, honey, just trust me. I've got this. I'm going to navigate everything from Nashville to DC, back to Nashville. We're going to fit as much as we can in. And man, we had a blast and she was so thankful. And I just got to watch her enjoy my children and, and our life, uh, and, and the fruits of our labor. So, so yeah, I, I'm an agreement, man. The, the seasons are, I love adapting and, and changing to them, but I, I love that there is a different season for every dad, for sure. It always requires something new. Every, every few years, not even, I guess probably every year, each of my sons is in a different stage. And I realize, man, like this, this dude needs a better dad. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm determined to be that guy. So let me, let me grow. Cause these boys are growing you know, my oldest, he's 14 now. He needs a better dad. And so there have been seasons and moments where I recognize you better, you better keep being that dude. You got to stay in front of these boys. I want them to far surpass their father in every way. And at the same time, it's a challenge to stay in front of them to make sure I'm actually leading them well. And, but like you said, that, that burden of responsibility for me, Brandon, I tell people I didn't become a man until I was 28 years old, 27, 28. Cause that's whenever I actually, it finally clicked the responsibility piece for me. Uh, so I'm 38 now. So I'm, I'm only, I've only been a man for 10 years, but um, that was at first it was overwhelming because I got it and it was, Oh no. 
But in the very next moment, the Lord opened my eyes to see that's good news. Because if I'm responsible for it all, then that means I can create the outcomes that I want. <laughs> I'm not a victim anymore yeah. of the circumstance or my wife or my children or anything else. It's irresponsible. Okay, but that means I also have authority. Um, I have the authority to do what's best, and I'm going to do it. So here we go. And that's when things got fun. Yeah, that's so I can really relate to that. I, I would say I was about 28 when I really truly became a man, right? And uh, let the selfishness and things like that really start going away and taking seriously my role as a husband and father a lot more than I did. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, it's the complacency, right? So you never really get to that point. Um, but you kind of also touched on something like, oh man, they need a better dad. Uh, I, you know, I think that that's something that virtually every single father feels because your kids are constantly growing and changing. And so it's not like you, you know, you figure out the current stage and then you got to learn a whole new one. Um, and just even recently, Brandon and Dustin, some of the books you've read, you know, like Dr. Meg Meeker's book, uh, Strong Father, Strong Daughters and Hero, where I was reading it, it was like super convicting, like, oh, man, I got to improve. You know, like, I feel like I'm doing pretty good. And then I feel like yeah. I'm the worst father in the world reading some of that book. And I'm like, oh, man, I got to, you know, so I think that that's maybe just a point of encouragement for dads out there is I think it's it's making the intentional effort to just be a little bit better, a little bit at a time. Um because it's not like an overnight shift, right? You're not gonna just magically change who you are in a day or reading one book. Um, but making the constant effort is what's gonna reap, or you know, you're planting the seeds that are gonna really grow, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, maybe longer. Yeah. Um, and so don't be disheartened by the fact that maybe maybe you don't know what you're doing or maybe you're kind of just taking your best guess. But, um, you know, that actually ties into a point that it's a it's kind of a military thing but it really tied into what shackleton was doing and it's kind of just making you know, we call it make a necessary movement in the army um but you know as a dad some action in, in what you think is the right direction is better than no action waiting for the perfect solution and so that's kind of the concept right. of making a make a necessary movement it's one of the troop leading procedures but shackleton did that the whole time um you know kept them prepping for the next thing. So if they had the opportunity to escape, they could on a moment's notice. If he wouldn't have been doing that, they would have been trapped forever. Um, you've got to do the same thing in your family, um, taking those steps. Maybe you don't really know, but you're just trying to figure it out. Some improvement is better than none at all, waiting for perfection somehow. So I think that yeah. that's a good kind of parallel between leadership and the general sense and how you apply it to life as a father. So dads, what, um, what's our definition of what a man is? I don't know if I have a great definition. Um, obviously you're over 18. Um, but to, to you, you know, you mentioned there's a specific moment in time, John Michael, where you said, I, I feel like I became a man. What do you have a story of exactly how that happened or how you would define yourself now at 38 versus you at 25 and why you're a man now and you weren't then? Oh man. <laughs> yeah, 38 year old me versus 25 year old me. Put all yeah. your money on 38 year old me. Like, bet on me. I will murder that guy. I can take his wife. I can take his family. Um, kid does not have a chance. He's an idiot. But um, yeah, so for me, the biggest piece that was missing was responsibility. Like I had said earlier, I define leadership as compassion, responsibility, and authority. It's this three legged thing. Or there we go. We got our little propeller back there. We got the, the three blades. So for me, the biggest piece that was still missing was the responsibility. But responsible for what? To your question about what is a man, I define a man. My understanding from scripture is that a man is the protector. He is the provider. He is the leader. 
And then, of course, those can be zoomed in on and we can go really far. Would protector, yes, bad guys, but way beyond to protect from the, the, the lies of the serpent and everything that goes beyond that. Um, the provider, yes, the financial, like it's easy to check the highest level, but to begin to zoom in, how else am I providing for my family's success and for their blessing and for their growth? And then the leader, that's the one that I think requires the, the most growth because a lot of men feel like I protect, I provide job well done. Well, that leadership aspect is the, is the final piece for me where once I took responsibility, I began leading, I began to relieve my wife and saying, Hey babe, you don't have to be husband anymore. I'm going to actually step up and do that. <laughs> and um, so now she got to be a yeah. wife. She got to rest in the feminine because there was a man around here. Yeah. So those are the biggest pieces for me. It was understanding protect, provide, and lead. But what the heck does lead mean? Well, lead, another subcategory now is be compassionate, but take responsibility and use your authority to do its best. That's how it came together for me. And it was, a, like you said, Dustin, it wasn't in one moment. This was a step-by-step process. I was frustrated. Uh, and I was I was a pastor. I was in full-time ministry. People were like, my life wasn't a mess you know, from the outside looking in, there wasn't like, oh man, eesh, this guy needs to get it together. You wouldn't have seen anything. You wouldn't have known. Yeah. Um, man, that was a great sermon, Pastor John Michael. Man, he was at the hospital. He's leading Bible studies. Like you name it, like all the box, everything looks good. But my frustrations were showing up in our household. Again, we were happily married. We were good, better than any marriage I knew of, which is freaking scary. But we were super solid. But I still knew like we're we're not there. We're not. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put my finger on it, but we're not there. And I started to build frustration. And for me, it revolved around headship and submission. It revolved around sex and marriage. The frequency wasn't there that I wanted. The freedom wasn't there that I wanted. And eventually the Lord said to me, hey, big boy, you can have everything you want. And I was like, yes, sir. Sign me up for that. And he said, you're just going to have to transform as a man to have it. And I went, and I was all in. That wasn't a slap in the face to me. I wasn't like, oh, never mind. I was like, I know I'm I'm ready, Lord. Walk me through this. So that was, you know, a long journey. I took the long way around mm-hmm. of it, I went everywhere, man. It was a, a book here, uh, a million books, a million podcasts. I felt like I was sifting through so many septic tanks to find like the tiniest jewel. And of course, I'm filtering everything through the word. But as I'm getting this this thing all coming together. I'm going, duh, that's right there in the word. Duh. There it was in the word. Wow. It, it's from the word. And, uh, all these, all the pieces started to come together and to the point where I started to say, wow, thank you, Lord. And, and the, the fruit started to show up. And, um, of course that was what led to everything that I'm doing now. I got the log out of my own eye. And then I said, yeah. man, I can help my brothers with the same thing. That's awesome. perfect. And and something that you had mentioned, um, you allowed through your leadership, your your wife was allowed to be feminine. So the society's definition of femininity or feminism is uh, completely different than what the word says. Can you kind of go into that a little bit more of like how your leadership allowed her to do that and like what that entails? Right. So I don't want to to do what Christian evangelicalism fails at all the time and never calls out the sins of women. I don't intend to do that. But with the work that I do, we focus exclusively on on the man, not to say it's all your fault, but to say, hey, bro, we can't do anything about that. So let's build influence. Let's build leadership capital. Let's transform into the greatest man she's ever known. Well, she should do X, Y, Z. Yes, she should. And she'll answer to God for it. Now, anyway, back to what we can control. 
Well, yeah, but I'm really, I know, and I'm with you, and I would rebuke her if I was her pastor, but I'm not. So anyway, back to what we can control. Yeah. So, yeah, and I know you already know that, Brandon, but just for, yeah. for everybody listening. So I lost the question in my rant. Give it to me again. Sure, sure. So I was just saying. Femininity. Femininity. Yes. Yeah, femininity. Yes. Okay, there we go. Femininity, sorry. So I think of femininity as softness, a vulnerability, a, a joyful and willful submission where she actually rests and responds. She fulfills her role as a wife to her husband, a helper. He is He's called to this mission. She's called to this mission alongside him. But again, we'll just quote the Bible here. Uh, he was not made for her. She was made for him. A husband is the head of his wife. Uh, Christ is the head of a husband. So mm -hmm. a lot of women don't get to enjoy that because we've sold them the burden of responsibility. Hey, baby, with you and me, it's 50-50. Ah, what a clever play there, John Michael. I see what you did. You wanted to get out of responsibility, so you put it on Natalie's back, but you did it while bragging about her. Natalie, you're so great. You're so amazing. You're so awesome. Let me put half of all of our burdens mm -hmm. on you instead of recognizing the obvious truths that I was built for more. My shoulders are supposed to be able to carry more. The, the physical creation images the spiritual. It's not an accident. It's not a separate disconnected thing. The physical mm -hmm. is intended and deliberately built by God to image the spiritual. So my wife is incredible. Like you can say all the things. Natalie checks all those boxes. She's wise. She's smart. She's godly. She's beautiful. She's wonderful. Uh, that's an incredible woman. I would think you would want her in your corner. Oh, heck yeah, I do. She's my most trusted advisor. I love her more than anybody. I like her more than anybody. I trust her more than anybody. I respect her more than anybody. She's my favorite of all the people. And yet she's not my leader and she's not my husband. So the feminine is, is unknown to a lot of women because on top of the burdens of, of culture that's told her to be tough and be strong and be, you know, be hard and stand up and whatever other nonsense. Um, at the same time, the church has padded that with 50, 50, be great partners. And then at the same time, I've made the mistake of masculinizing my wife. I've tried to drive her away from her feelings and drive her into logical thinking. Babe, just be clear. What do you want? And I have tried to treat her like a roommate. I've worked to make her more masculine. I've deliberately worked for years to masculinize her, to get her to kill and crush the flower of the feminine spirit and go, hey, be a lighthouse. That's your job, bro. And you didn't want to marry a dude. That's why you married this beautiful woman. Well, she's just changed over the years. Right, John Michael. But you've had a heavy influence on that. So uh, I know I, I, I started to answer it, and then I started jumping into some examples. But perfect. The feminine oh, in good God's stuff. good design, she is she is a she is a flower. She is, but she is not um, she's not delicate in the sense that uh, she can be easily broken, but she is tender in the sense that she is to be protected. So Natalie is capable. Uh, Natalie is wise, not Natalie is godly. And this is true for any godly wife. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, that doesn't mean she's a husband. It doesn't mean we're we're swappable humans. Yeah, we're just we're just people raising kids. No, we're a husband and wife raising kids. And I want my wife to enjoy feminine softness. I want her to enjoy the feminine act of surrender, again, which connects to the physical, the sex act. This woman literally lays on her back, opens her knees and her soft body to the hard masculine. These things are not accidental, and they're not like, ha, ha, that's funny. It's, it's not it at all. That's all design 
by the Lord to show what else is supposed to be happening in a marriage. It's really good, man. Uh, th thanks for sharing those points. It's really, uh, it, it's obviously well said, but it also really connects the dots. I think probably for a lot of people, I've never heard it. Yeah. So, so quickly, you know, from you, you kind of capture the whole block, you know, very quickly, uh, it's a really good segment right there. And, and I think that I agree wholeheartedly in, um, and kind of the differences in that men and women are different and there is, you can't just swap places. Um, and I, I would argue so far to say that the bulk of our problems as a society are based off the fact that, you know, for 40 years now, American culture has tried to swap men and women intermittently. Um, and here you go. Now we've got today. So thanks for that. Yeah. Uh, Michael Foster and non-tenant, uh, they're the guys over at, uh, it's good to be a man. They say it so well as a man goes, so goes the household. As the household goes, so goes the church. As the church goes, so goes society. And then I add the tag on the end, which brings us to our present insanity in the West. Mm. And, you know, but again, whenever half is Natalie's, whenever Natalie's half responsible for everything, I always get to go, well, hey, it, uh, 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 she had her part to play. Uh, it's beautiful. It's very clever yeah. for, for the John Michael wanting to get out of responsibility. It's very uh, Garden of Eden-esque. Hey, it's this woman. Yeah, this yeah. woman you gave yeah, me. you gave she, me. She you gave me the fruit. Sort of yeah. You two yeah. should apologize to me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And that's a really good that's... point, too, because, like, with Shackleton, right, there were numerous times where he had members of his crew kind of do the wrong thing, right? And he could have been like, oh, well, you know, because so-and-so messed up, we're all in this situation. He didn't do that. He owned it, right? And he's in charge. You don't gripe down. You only gripe up, right? So, um, you know, he... he moving things forward and so it, you have a very real world example of kind of how that plays out of, of not abdicating your responsibility and owning it um you know i had a a leader early in my military career say that that's called mickey mouse leadership when say oh well you know battalion gave us this order so that's why we got to do it it's like no don't pass the buck you own it we're doing this because of this right and don't don't blame someone else for that or whatever that's good um anyway brandon you were going sorry Oh, no, no. So uh, that's kind of exactly what I was wanting him to discuss. Um, let's let's dive uh, a little bit more into um, like your your family captain program. Let's let's talk about like uh, we know some of the results, like the, the feminine soft wife. What are some of the other results? Like you talked about uh, you mentioned sex because sex is such a demonized thing. And a lot of churches and a lot of uh, society, um, as far as man and wife. So maybe dive into that a little bit and talk about talk about that with your program. Yeah, man. So we start from the perspective that God loves sex and the devil hates sex. And what we mean by that is God designed sex. It was all His idea. If we look at sex in accordance with God's original design, it was for a husband and wife. He calls it good, and He invented every part of it. He invented. I don't know what our how wide our audience is here, but. Uh, he invented all the grown-up parts. You know, he invented everything that they do. He invented the pleasure. He invented the erection. All this, his design. Satan didn't sneak in and make some distortions here. Satan didn't come up with orgasms. All this is God's intention. Is it is it uncomfortable? Maybe because it's unfamiliar, but Christians should reclaim what belongs to our God. This is our jurisdiction because it's his jurisdiction. I can't help that the world and that Satan is a pervert and he perverts everything. He hates right. sex. So how, how can you prove that? Well, because he wants to distort God's good design 
He wants everyone having sex except for a husband and wife. He wants every other possible combination happening except for those who have exchanged vows. And then he wants perversions and distortions. This is why he tries to, you know, abuse us sexually as children through means and, and all kinds of possibilities. This is the pervasiveness of pornography. That's not a love of sex. That's a hatred of God's good design and a perversion of it. So we, we stand up, first of all, as the church and say, this belongs to our God. Christians should have the best marriages. Christians should have the best sex lives. Christians should have the best everything. Why? Well, because we have God. He's the king, and we're living in accordance to his ways. Why, why wouldn't we? Obviously. He's given us his own son. How will, with him, will he not also give us all things freely? So clearly, these are just good gifts to enjoy. This is his goodness. This is his mercy. This is his kindness being poured out to us in yet another way where he is, where his opulence is made known to us. But yeah, the world is, they're busy making sex robots and that are more lifelike. And meanwhile, the church is like ashamed because our coffee maker in the fellowship hall says bun on it. And the only way I know to break past this stuff is to talk about it. Church Absolutely. ladies will be offended. My mission is not to offend them, uh, but my mission is to still be a truth teller um, no matter what the cost. So yeah, yeah, there's an entire we, book of the Bible about it, bro. I mean, I was, I've been rereading Song of Solomon. I hadn't read it in a long yeah. time. been rereading it the past two weeks. I'm just like, this is graphic. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm uncomfortable here, Lord. Um, not really, but, um, but yeah, so there, there's such a disconnect there. And yeah. I just, I pretend yeah. there's not when I speak and, and it can be pretty polarizing. And I know that. And at the same time, I'm not sorry for it because we help a lot of guys yeah. and we help a lot of marriages to enjoy God's good gift. Sex is not a gift that wives give to husbands. Sex is not a gift that husbands give to wives. Sex is a gift that God has given to marriage. So we reframe all of this with the truth that sex is not just a physical thing. Sex is a spiritual thing and sex is an emotional thing. It is an important nutrient that God has given to marriages mm -hmm. for bonding, for obviously bringing children into the earth primarily. Uh, but for the pleasures that the Lord is connected to it, for comfort we see in Scripture as well. So uh, we're we're continuing to encourage people in it to talk boldly. There's things that are private that need to stay private, obviously between a yeah, husband and true. wife. But but the subject of sex can be talked about very plainly, very boldly. It's like no one will ever hear me discuss anything about me and Natalie uh, privately. Yeah. But in general, the concept and the teachings revolve around sex. Yeah, we can go and we can be bold and very and very enthusiastic in our teachings on it. Right. right. I love the word nutrient because it, it is, it's such a binding thing in marriage and it's, it's such a necessary part. And there are men and women who just, uh, I hear guys say, I get it maybe once a month or twice a year. And it's like, man, that's not a marriage. Like that's a very unhealthy situation right there. And you, yeah, you start there's a lot of things going wrong there that you got to start reviewing. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of why I wanted to touch on that, but one of the things I wanted to kind of touch back on was what it means to be a man. Um, John Michael, I, knowing you and being friends with you for a while, I have seen personally, like you and Elijah, you did um, some rites of passages uh, with your kids. Can you maybe jump into that um, and, and maybe teach some of these guys how, how they could do that in different stages of their kids' lives? Yeah. So just the, right off the bat, guys, you got to remember you're in charge. You're the captain of the ship. Oh, can I do this? Can I do that? Bro, you make up the rules. You make up all the stages. You make up whatever you want. You're leading these kids. Nobody knows anything until somebody just makes something up. Uh, think about the public school system. It's, it has such like an honor and a reverence, like first grade. 
second grade, third grade. Like, who made this crap up? Like, we're just used to it. I'm not mad about it. I'm just saying somebody just made some crap up one day, and everybody's like, all right, it's a system. It works. So fair enough. You can do the same thing when you're leveling up your kids. So what I've done with my boys, I only have sons, but I have different stages that I move them into. So my seven-year-old, Hudson, he's just a little boy. That's all he is. He has not moved into any phase or stage yet. The first phase, the first stage he will be moved into, though, is young, is mature boyhood. So my middle son, Brock, he is in mature boyhood right now. My oldest son, Elijah, he is in young manhood. So they go from little boy, and then there's a day where I move them into uh, mature boyhood. And then after the mature boyhood season, I'll move them into young manhood. And then there will be a day where I tell him, not the government, not their birthday, but there will be a day where his father says, now you are a man and it will mean something. So that's how I've chosen to do it. I've worked with clients who have daughters and, and we do it differently with them. Uh, and it should be different. There are different expectations for young men and young women sure. as they mature. We're not pointing them to the same target. We're not pointing our kids toward adulthood. We're pointing our sons to manhood and our daughters to womanhood, <clears throat> not humanhood or, or adulthood. Right. So, um, I, I, I'm sorry. I haven't been paying attention to the chat. I need to be, I need to do a better job reading, reading along in the chat. Cause yeah. I was like, is the chat public? Can, can everybody see the chat? Was I not <laughs> supposed to acknowledge the chat? There's two chat. Yeah. There's comments and then we got a private chat. So yeah. oh, okay. Yeah. So I was just wondering, I don't know if you can publicly share, like maybe if you put a chart together of some of those progressions, that's really interesting. Yeah. But, but the point I was going to make is like, I've done it at different ages with the other two. So mm -hmm. Elijah, he was born as like an old man. The dude was like, <laughs> like three years old and he's just like wise and weird and wonderful. Full beard. Right. Yeah. I'm just like, uh, so I moved him into uh, mature boyhood at I think age nine. But what we do is we mark the occasion. Now you can make this work with any budget. So nobody gets to feel sorry for themselves and nobody gets to get out of this. If you like, if you want to do this. Um, but what needs to happen is it needs to be quality time with daddy and, you know, maybe you can get away. I think with him at our first one, my aunt was out of town and we just went and stayed at her house. So we got away from his mama and his brothers uh, and me and him just got away. We watched a couple man movies. But what's happening is there's some lessons that I'm putting into him. And there's a theme for this upcoming season in his life. Something I want him to focus on and think about for the upcoming season of mature boyhood. Hey, you're not a little boy anymore. Here's what that means. And there's privilege that comes with this new season. Maybe a little bit later bedtime. Uh, maybe something else. But there's responsibility that comes with this new season. These are the chores you're going to be doing. Uh, this is what I expect of you. So he's being knighted. He's being called up. And he's being encouraged. There's a gift that goes along with it. Maybe it's his first pocket knife, whatever. You can come up with something significant. Um, but like I said, then there's a theme that I'm telling him. This is the focus. So Brock, who's in mature boyhood right now, he's moved out of boyhood into mature boyhood. Brock, the theme I gave him was always give it your all. So I'm looking at the weaknesses in my sons and I'm going, okay, what does this young, what does this little boy need to hear? Hey, son, I need you to always give it your all. I see a character flaw in you. I see a weakness in you. And by the grace of God, you're going to grow out of this. So I want to see you focus on always giving it your all. That's the mission. That's the season that you're coming into for the next few years. Mm -hmm. So anyway, Elijah, I just, I determined he was ready for young manhood. So he went into mature boyhood at nine. 
And then at age 13, I determined he was ready for young manhood. Um, oh, and the other part is they have to do something challenging, some sort of physical thing. Again, for a daughter, I would not have done this. Uh, but for a young man, I wanted to do something scary, something difficult. So I had him do like a ropes course, um, you know, a big scary ropes course for one of them. I forget what the other one was. But then for my oldest, when he came into young manhood, there is a, a lighthouse out here in the Chesapeake Bay. That's It's called a floating lighthouse, but it's not floating. It's anchored in, into the bay. But his big challenge was he had to jump off of it. It was something I did when I was a teenager. And I took him out there and he had to jump off of it. But that was a weekend we camped out on the beach. Uh, he got a, like a, a new cool knife and a lot of lessons. But we also prepared, I also made a long list with him of this is all the stuff you have to do before you're a man. And I I tell you when you're a man. Uh, and there's it's a lot there. I mean, it's a lot on it. Like it's hefty. It's not easy. He has to get his, he's got to get his blue belt in jujitsu. Um, he's barely got one stripe as a white belt. Um, he's got a long journey there. He's got to, I mean, all kinds of, he's got to start a business. He's got to have so much money saved. Um, he's got to, um, uh, kill and harvest a deer. Um, there, there's a bunch, a bunch. I can't even remember off the top of my head, everything that's there, but you know, change of tires on the list, all kinds of stuff like that but there will come a day and, and I'm going to be, I'm meeting with him to, to work through these things and make sure we're actually hitting milestones and moving forward over the coming years. And then there's going to come a day where I tell him he's a man. But the point is guys, like all my details don't matter. What matters is it comes out of your heart. There's books, there's resources, but you can get lost in perfection in, instead of like, dude, what do you like? What do you care about? What kind of things do you want for your son? What kind of things? If I had daughters, Natalie would be more involved in this process heavily, mm. but specifically because it's son's, uh, I extract them from their mother and, and I tell her, Hey, when he comes back, he's going to be a mature boy. And she makes over them and they come back. Oh, my, my mature boy, uh, their <laughs> chest all swelled up or, you know, Oh my, my young man. And I say, Hey, this is a young man. Now I'm naming him. I'm telling him what it, I'm saying, what grade he's in. That's amazing. That's, that's who that's I am. Huge. I'm his wow. head. I'm responsible for him. I'm, I'm knighting him in this new season. So the point is you can do whatever the heck you want, but just be deliberate. You can pick the age, you can pick the stage. You can make it super budget friendly, um, but it's going to take some 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 work. Which I always say, yeah. welcome to leadership. Yeah. I don't <laughs> I don't know any dads doing this. I know a bunch of dads who mostly let the wife take care of the most of that stuff, and boys, girls, whatever it is. And this is like just wonderful hearing this because it's such a fun. I'm I'm getting excited just thinking about stuff that I want to do with my little guy. <laughs> it's so have fun. A, yeah, have fun with it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I wanted to like kind of tie it like highlight one of the elements of it that you like really drew out to is is like especially with boys and men right we we really appreciate a symbol right we're very tangible creatures you want badges or hang on well it's, yeah oh, so like <laughs> napoleon boasted he can make a man do anything for a scrap of ribbon i mean look at it look at the military look at all the crazy like things that. people go through to get a ranger tab or all these other you know mm -hmm. these these honors and like you know the, like the military coin tradition is a huge thing and like just giving a soldier a coin for doing something good, like even as a grown adult, you know, it like, it's, you just see them light up, you know? And mm -hmm. um, so, especially with sons, take, take that seriously. Like whether it's a knife or something else, um, that symbol, it may seem a little silly, but because it came from you, it's going to mean a ton. Uh, and there's, you know, there, there's a book called uh, Wild at Heart, I think is a great example of kind of John John, like what you were just talking about, um, kind of the, the passage of boyhood to manhood. Um, but Dustin, I agree with you. Like that's uh, 
it's a completely lost art. It used to be a cultural thing, right? Like if you go way back into kind of like tribal societies, you know, the boys had to go out with the men and learn how to hunt and bring back the food to the tribe and all those kinds of things. And um, it used to just be an ingrained thing in society. And now with the lives we live in the modern era with technology and everything, it's, it's kind of a, you know, men are just watered down. Boys are watered down to uh, yeah. a thing with different anatomy. As opposed it's the to, live androgyny and it's even being right. proud of androgyny. It's being yeah. proud yeah. of it. He can play with that. She can play with that. We're proud of it. Yeah. We're proud yeah. that there's no distinctions. Meanwhile, God rejoices in the distinctions he's made. Mm -hmm. He loves yeah. mountains and he loves valleys. He loves deserts and he loves oceans. He loves right. light and dark. He loves hard and soft. He loves hot and cold. And we go, let's flatten it all. And it's not. It's the spirit of the age. It is Satan. It is satanic. Yeah. And it's an effort, again, to distort and pervert what God calls good. Yeah, it's like when everyone's special, no one is. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> yeah. And, and what's sad now is like the, the rites of passage that kids are getting passively is driver's license, uh, who's going to drink, when they can drink, and mm -hmm. cell phones. And I mean, like, yeah. what is that putting in a kid's mind? Yeah. There's no goal, no direction. The parents uh, are not the ones that the kids are oriented to. They're peer oriented. And so then you show them the five direct wow. friends that they have. And it's like, like those five yeah. kids are going to be the ones that mold your kid into something. That's a great yes. point. Think about the demonic rite of passage that Satan has created. First porn exposure. Like mm -hmm. these are the new rites of passage. Um, yeah. Which know, uh, statistically encounter. the first exposure is seven to eight years old now, by the way. Oh God. Yep. That's so, too young. To like yeah. my daughter's porn exposure, age. First sexual right encounter, um, you know, first drug use. Like these are the, these are the modern rites of passage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, oh, no. and those are the things that people celebrate the most. Right. And like some parents even support it, like let their kids, if, if you're going to party, party at my house or party with me. It's mm -hmm. like, <laughs> what are you doing? You know, yeah. you're just like yeah. giving them the free range, you know, handing and, them a gun that they've never used and saying, go have fun. Yeah. So kind of silly example here. Um, I played baseball for eight years as a kid. I got four trophies a year, no matter. And they were always participation trophies. They were never like, you did a good job because I was terrible at baseball. I, I like had a zero batting. I was awful, right? But I wasn't not athletic. I was just really bad at baseball. But I thought I was good because I had a rack full of trophies. Started playing tennis, didn't really get any trophies. Um, became a tennis instructor for 10 years. I'm a very good tennis player. I think I have one trophy. So it's very confusing to a kid when you get all these accolades and wonderful things that you didn't earn at all. I think if a coach had been merciful with me and said, Hey bud, you're terrible. Go pick a different sport. You know, well, it would like, have saved me five years. This <laughs> And you get to a point where you like, you kind of know, right? Like, uh, I, I didn't do as good as the guy who won first. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but we got the same trophy. So what's going well, on? Well, yeah. So yeah, like, I remember, I remember the first time I ran into that where I just like, I was a kid, but I was just like incensed beyond all measures. <laughs> My first junior Olympics. And I spent the whole summer, like a like I was like one of those freaks who like goes off to you know can't like some you know training camp and never comes home type of thing. I was there like twelve hours a day, and I, and I worked really hard and I had to win like nine matches and I got bronze. I got third place. Um, and they handed out all these participation trophies at the Junior Olympics in the United States to all the kids who lost like the first round, second round, whatever, mm -hmm. and they got like this pewter colored medal, same medal, just same logo and everything, same size. And it was it almost like bronze. And I was like, so pissed. I'm like, I had to win nine or eight or nine matches. I've been sparring for like, you know, because you have to go and you're a huge class. So you got to like wait for hours to the next match. And I mean, it's this huge ordeal. I was like nine or eight at the time. And I just remember thinking like, 
are you kidding me? Like they're getting this basically the same medal as me. And not that I'm like some special gift to the world or whatever, but like I, I earned third place, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm still not even the best. This guy beat me, you know, he got Jordan first. super pissed at you, Dustin. Yeah. <laughs> I was that millennial. But I mean, like, <laughs> I kind of like looked at the other kids, I and, but I still remember like the other kids weren't like excited about getting this trophy. You could, they, like, right. cause they knew they lost, you know right. what I mean? It's like, right. and so it's it just it made their mom feel better. I guess. Right, I mean, the yeah, parents feel better. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Congrats. Becky, you know, but, Becky I mean, felt yeah. great about it. But I'd still <laughs> argue, like, the, even the guys who lost the first round, they still learned something about themselves that they probably take to this day. Like, hey, I, I made it to the Junior Olympics. You have to win at state. You have to win at, like, regionals. You have to win all these to even get there. And then you're still competing against the best. So even to just try yourself against the best, even if you just get creamed, you still learn yeah. something more about yourself than never trying it in the first place, so, right? I think that ties into what my definition of becoming a man for me was, was failing mm. consistently and getting through those failures, mm-hmm. getting burned by that fire, that, that sadness of, of failing and, and, yeah. uh, you know, and getting through that. And yeah. that, that to me, I think was when I realized I've, I've achieved manhood because I've gotten over these, these really difficult things. Um, right. and if, if somebody just given me a trophy and said, well, you didn't fail, you just, you did fine. Don't worry about it. And you know, right. no, I needed to understand I failed. I lost. Mm-hmm. I did not win. Other men did better than me. I can rank myself against that. And yeah. I learned that. And then that, that was a crucial moment for me. Cause that was, that yeah. was a lot of that was hidden for me as a child I had a single mm-hmm. mom who, you know, didn't want to see me fail. Didn't want to see me cry. She coddled me a lot. And I, I love my mom. She, you know, she did a great job. She's wonderful. But um, you know, a lot of the environment that I was put in was designed to never help me understand that I had failed or that I wasn't good at something. Right. Everything right. I did was equal. So things I was really good at, I, you know, you're good at. Okay. But I didn't know I was better at that than things. It's very confusing for a young man or a, yeah, a young absolutely. boy when you don't let them know, well, you're good at this and this mm-hmm. you're not so good at, you know, you right. need that feedback. And I, it was tough. And I you're get still it. loved. God still loves <laughs> you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's that's the key, of course. We don't you, you don't not love your son because he failed. That's the other end of that spectrum. That's right. But sure. I think that's what drives. Yeah. You know, when people don't have Christ, like this stuff matters. That freaking T-ball trophy matters. Everything matters. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't have a real foundation. Mm. So my accomplishments are my value. And if I haven't accomplished, I have no value. Now, obviously, for those in Christ, this is where we're supposed to be able to go. I did fail, which is what Dustin's able to talk about. Like I failed, but I don't have to feel defeated. I don't have to feel worthless. Like God mm-hmm. loves me. Yep. I'm still secure in the father's hand. Now with that, I have freedom to move forward again and try again, because this thing wasn't a definition. The grade I got on the report card, thank God my parents didn't use my report card as a value system for my worth. Um, and you know, same thing with my boys. Like if they, if they can't succeed at something, I say, did you give it your best? No, sir. All right. Then I'm not happy. That's unacceptable. Mm-hmm. But did you give it your best? Yes, sir. I love it. You know, and that, that was a phrase I've gotten used to saying with them when they would lose a wrestling match or lose anything. I'd say, I love watching you wrestle. Yeah. I love That's, watching you wrestle, son. Go out there and fight. Yeah. And, and for Great me, sport. failing, losing, and suffering were the only things that grew me growing up. And so, like, one of the things I've been intentional with with my son now that he's starting to get older and he's starting to come more into this world. Like I had to pick up the slack of his soccer coach. His soccer coach just vamped, disappeared. Nobody was picking it up. So I put, picked up that, that title. I became his soccer coach. And every time they lost, I told them they lost. I said, 
They said, did we win? It was three to four. I said, no, you lost. And here's where we can improve. And so like one of the things I'm intentional with is like letting my son understand he's losing or he's failing. Um, and like, I'll ask him, I want him to be comfortable with the thought of failing because failing is totally normal. It's first attempt in learning. That's the way I look at it. And so like I say, son, what'd you, what'd you fail at today? And if he comes back and says, oh, I didn't fail at anything. I'm like, man, you know, like I don't like I'm not disappointed, but I'm like, man, I just wish you were, you know, I wish you would have failed in something. I tried something. Tried it something boy. Yeah. And, and like, I'll always, yeah. And I'll always applaud the effort, but I'll always say, Hey, look, you know, from a loving perspective, this is what you can get better on. And this is how you can fix this part, you know? And so I'm just slowly dipping him into that water that the world is, you know, where failure and brutality and just chaos and everything else is, you know, you got to prep them somehow. And I feel like suffering is, one of those things you slowly integrate them into because you can't just let them just be traumatized. But yeah. But yeah, either way. So John, you were, I think you were wanting to add something to that. Go go ahead, John, Michael, and then I'll, uh, I got something on the whole failure thing after that. Yeah. As a dad, I've had to learn again, to get away from androgyny and to stop living just like a parent, but to be a father. And I've had to be mindful of Natalie's strengths to encourage those, to receive those, but to not let those overrule mine. Um, Natalie's a nurturer. That's what a mama is supposed to be. She's supposed to be nurturing and gentle, but if I defer to her too much, she's going to hear me say strong things to our sons. And if she's not careful, she could try and overrule. Oh my goodness. You can't say that Tim. That was, no, I reassured my love. I reassured his value, but I, but he's still going to hear truth from his father. He's still going to hear strength. And of course, that's a great buffer there for Natalie to say, Hey, uh, if there's times where daddy is too intense, you know, for Natalie to gently follow up with me later. Hey, babe, I think he was, I think it was a lot. I think it was heavy. I think whatever. And I'm able to process again so that he's not coddled. And at the same time, um, so that he's not, so that he's not exasperated, right? So that his father doesn't place demands on him and treat him like a grown man when he's not. But that's something that I've enjoyed with Natalie, us both growing in over the years, appreciating what one another bring. And it's hard for her because she is a mama and she only has three boys and she knows, and I've continued to talk with her like, baby, we're, they're going to have to slay dragons. They're coming up in a harder world, a more difficult world, and we've got to prepare them for war. So like, even whenever I have the boys wall sit, if somebody has been disrespectful or hit their brother or out of control, instead of a spanking or instead of whatever else, I go, Hey, is that, is is that funny when you hurt your brother? And if they're laughing about something, go wall sit. Mm -hmm. Let's see if it's funny. Good. Uh, and I'm, I'm calm, but he's sitting there and for he's chuckling for the first two minutes, three minutes, six minutes in, he starts tearing up. Ah! And that, this is when Natalie has a hard time sometimes. Yeah. And yeah. Um, but in in recent years, she's she's looked at him and going, "This is good for you. This is the e- this is one of the easiest things you'll ever do in your life." And I'm just like, she she sees it. I don't want to make her harsh, um, right? But she is she's still tender. She's still feminine. But it's helpful to understand the the dynamics. But to not cave. I think in in a lot of marriages, it's tempting for dad to be overruled. Mom go, oh, my goodness, honey. And he's, oh, you, you can't do that with him all the time, sweetie. Don't back up, dad. You know, we're not trying to we're not trying to be offensive, but we need to be strong. Yeah. So I, I'd, I'd love to kind of segue from that. So two two things. One is um, you highlighted the, the the beauty of the balance between how God created women and how God created men. And we are naturally harsher 
you know, we're very task oriented. We mm -hmm. see the goal, we see the vision, we want to push towards it, you know, no matter the cost type of thing. And then your wife is a beautiful complimenting creature that's going to help rein you in sometimes. And so that balance creates a great <sighs> environment for kids. Um, and that, but the second too, like you said, is you're still, you're still in charge, right? You're the leader and, uh, a leader's job is to drive out excellence from his subordinates. Um, and in this case, not in a, you know, authoritative sense, but it's, it's a, it's an act of love. It's an act of servant mm -hmm. leadership to understand that it's pain today that you're going to feel, but because I love you and I care about you being better than you are today, I know that you need to experience it and go through this struggle because when you come out the other side, you'll have learned something that only this can teach you. And so, you know, I've learned that heavily from the military sense, right? I still combat it today uh, as, a, as a commander <laughs> in the guard where, oh, sir, that's too much. You can't have them do that. That's exactly what they need to do, right? And, and uh, you know, everyone's going to complain because it's hard and it's scary and it's challenging. But, you know, like I've been there. I've done it. So I have the luxury of perspective. But you can do the same thing as a kid. And so I think, John, Michael, you bring up a really good point of kind of holding that line um with your kids so that or with your wife so that you you still get to that end result um not overbearing but um you know ensuring that ultimately they are improved through the experience and last point on failure i had a great uh it's actually my one of my earlier commanders he called them uh you know every time you mess up it was a training scar and I love that a training training, scar, a training scar, right? So mm -hmm. you get a little scar and it's not, it's not really going to kill you, right? It's a little cut. It hurt a little bit, but in the, you know, later in your life, you're going to look at it and go, Oh yeah, when I did that, this hurt, I'm not going to do that anymore. And so that's what failure is. It hurts a little bit. It's a little bit of a scar, but ultimately you're gonna have all these scars on you and, you, and you'll be, you know, smarter and more wise and, and get through it without getting cut again. Do you plan at all, John Michael, um, if your sons, let's say they refuse to do a wall sit. Let's say you say, hey, you know, you've got to give me a five minute wall sit. He says, absolutely not. Forget you, dad. Uh, do, do you have kind of a contingency plan for how to handle different behavioral challenges? Um, well, I'm laughing because I would literally laugh if one of my sons said, no, that was funny, son. But but yeah, I mean, every 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 situation is different, right? So, man, what if I've got that kid who would just be like, no. Uh, ultimately, I got to make sure I don't get triggered. I got to make sure I don't get egotistical, but I absolutely will have consequence. You will not trump me. You will not go farther than me. Um, hey, son, I don't know what just happened to your brain, but I'm going to be merciful and I'm going to give you another chance to go wall sit right now. And I'll pretend that you didn't just say that to me. I'm not wall sitting. Son, you just lost screens for the rest of the week at a minimum. You Like whatever, I'm immediately things are going away from his life. And mm -hmm. if he starts to spiral in that moment, I'm probably not going to keep going up the staircase right. because that he's essentially having a two-year-old tantrum, but as a 10-year-old, mm -hmm. um, and we don't spank a two-year-old in the middle of the tantrum. That's nonsense. Afterwards, mm -hmm. when everything's calm and the hugs and kisses have been given, now we say, daddy loves you very much and your behavior was unacceptable. And now you're going to be spanked because I love you. And the Bible says you have foolishness stored up in your heart and I'm going to drive it out of you. It's you and me and the Lord against foolishness. A 10-year-old, a 15-year-old could do the same thing. And if I get egotistical, I'm going to start going, two weeks, car keys, you're dead. You know, like. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's an arms race. It's not discipline. Right? Sure. At that point. Yeah. yeah. I'm offended. Yeah. And like, who, you know, and he's, I don't care. <laughs> now, yeah. he does care, but he's, he's emotional. 
So ultimately, yeah. yes, they're like, I'm escalating. Um, mm. I'm escalating because I, I have to use my authority to do what's best for you. Um, because at that point, what if he's saying, and I say, son, go to your room. Uh, I'm going to follow up with you later and explain to you the consequences and what you've chosen as you've dishonored your father, your mother, whatever the case may be. But there's got to be escalation at the same time, making sure that it's not, you guys know this. I don't want to parent from the place of that's it. Yeah. That's tyranny, right? Like if you have to, if you have to remind your subordinates of your rank, so to speak, right? They don't respect yeah. you. You're not leading. You're, you're being a tyrant and leveraging, you're abusing your position of power over them. And it's not yeah. like the art of manliness has a great article. I recommend all the time. It's called parent like a video game. And in it, mm. uh, Brett McKay makes the point in a video game, you get calm, consistent consequences every single time. When Mario jumps on the cactus, doo -doo 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 -doo, mm -hmm. you just go back here. Nobody comes out and screams at you. Nothing crazy happens. Uh, or the, the analogy of a referee in a basketball game. If, if, if I call traveling that, that time, I have to call traveling every time. Yep. If I mm. call a double dribble, I have to always call a double dribble. Well, that's hard as a parent. I know. Yes, I know. It, I, I'm tempted to yell through the house instead of go in the other room and bother. Um, but like the calm, consistent consequences ultimately are going to be the key to make sure I don't have those absurd moments where a child will look at me and go, no, because I'm going, what do you mean? No, you don't tell me no. So yeah, calm, consistent consequences, but uh, that would be a great article. Really helpful. I'll revisit it from time to time. I like that. I'll, uh, I'll definitely, I've, I've read a lot of that. I used to read a lot of their stuff uh, a while ago, but yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. Yeah, that's awesome. And I think that's a real challenge for fathers is to provide consistent uh, discipline. It's, it's much easier to fly off the handle and be, you know, very upset one day and then um, too lenient the next day. And I think that's, that's the worst, right, is, is to go to extremes either way um, all the time. And that, that consistent discipline, I think that takes planning. That takes practice to do that. And, um, most of us don't treat our personal lives the way we, uh, we treat our work lives with the same rigor. I would never go into yeah. the operating room with no plan and just winging it. Um, but I do that all the time at home and that's, that's not fair to my wife and not fair to my son. So I, I yeah. really, this is, yeah. this is good motivation for me to, uh, to have that plan ready to go. That's I think, super good. Yeah. And I think really good leadership, um, is, you know, in, in an event where discipline has to occur is you yourself taking a moment or longer and processing it yourself. Uh, and you know, especially if there's multiple parties involved, right? Oh, he hit me. No, he did this, whatever. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, the situation, but is thinking about all what really happened and then going into very measured, serious response yourself. Um, and uh, you know, obviously when they're little, it's a little bit more like, no, don't touch the stove. It's hot. You know, I mean, it's a little, <laughs> <laughs> a little different, but you know, as they grow, you can have a more mature and um, engaged uh, interaction with them, right? But mm -hmm. uh, you know, and then that's something too, just outside of parenting. Uh, that that's a, a leadership principle that I think is extremely important for any any leader, right? And anyone can immediately berate someone for doing the wrong thing or being out of line or whatever, but it takes uh, you know a lot of self discipline and um, patience to kind of evaluate the situation still not withhold the punishment due so to speak uh the consequences but conducting that you know in a, in a way that they will actually receive it have a chance to receive it because if it's if it's given with harshness they're going to immediately get defensive and the the lesson right. won't be drawn out of it so 
not that I'm perfect at it, but that's, <laughs> that's yeah, that's, that's what you strive uh, to do. That's what I've had to try. If I'm just being transparent, one of the things I've had to try so hard for myself is when I was a kid with three other brothers and all my other brothers were the ones that were the wild childs and, you know, the ones that would tell my mom and dad no and get in lots of trouble. Like I was the good kid. So like there issues came up for me and I fixed them myself. So a lot of, a lot of my emotional reaction uh, about a decade ago was just to self-isolate. Like if people, I made me angry or some, a situation, made me angry, I just isolated. Uh, I, I removed myself. Um, but as a parent, you can't do that. So like I had to really take a good hard look at my emotional intelligence and I had to grow myself and go back into past traumas and had, I had therapy, I had all kinds of things to just try to, to figure out how to course correct from being so far off the path for so long. And eventually I did get to that point. Uh, and now it's like, man, I've broken a cycle for my kids um, and I've spared them from it. And so for me, I, I'm constantly working on emotional intelligence. And even when I think I'm, Hey, I'm great now, but like, I'm, it's still not good enough. I'm still going to keep growing, even if it's just 1% a day. So, but yeah, for me, one more thing um, sure. to tie back into what George was talking about. It's just such an important point that he made. You have so much freedom. So every situation does not call for the same thing. And I think that brings us back to Shackleton. Like there's moments where you're thinking, Oh, he's about to drop the hammer on this guy. And he doesn't. You go, oh, I thought this is man culture. I thought I've got like a bunch of burly men fighting for survival. We don't have any room and any tolerance for this kind of insubordination. Shackleton is about to drop this dude right where he's standing. And he doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I remember reading that and learning like, oh, every situation isn't the same, you know, for or as a father. Oh, it's not always a spanking or it's not always a wall sit. And great points you guys are making about as the kids mature. Absolutely. It opens up so many more possibilities. Just yesterday, Natalie, or was it today? Natalie was dealing with Hudson and she was like, he has been difficult. And she told me what she did because Hudson gets plenty of spankings. Um, but she took time. She talked with him. She prayed with him. Um, and she didn't bring him any kind of consequence with what, with whatever he was doing. Um, so we have freedom. We don't want to get stuck in. And again, as guys, we're tempted towards a formula, right? Like, have, just tell me what to do. I'll be rock hard. Well, yep. the thing to do is to have the wisdom of God. Right. <laughs> That's the thing. That's the big unlock. Once you got the wisdom of God, you're good to go. Yeah. So yes, there's some best practices for us. Um, but all these things are to be our servant, not the other way around yep. as we lead and shepherd these people well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I wanted to, I, I never answered the, you know, what what is the definition of a man that Dustin posed earlier, which is a great question for our discussion tonight, Dustin. So mm -hmm. as always, you're, you're the one kind of provoking all the thoughts. <laughs> um, very similar to you, John Michael, I, I feel like, you know, for the most part, my life was going well and everything. And on the outside, it probably looked like you know, everything was good. Um, and I, I, uh, it's it's not my quote. It's it's actually Ben Affleck who said it. But uh, when he he believes that he became a man when he started thinking of the world in terms of himself and started thinking of it in the terms of his children, um, and not that he's like some amazing role model or whatever. But the the sentiment is really good. I think you know it was at that point in my life. I think it was about twenty eight is when I really, um, it wasn't the bravado anymore or any of that kind of stuff. It was the quiet confidence, knowing that okay, this is what right looks like. Um, th 
this is what I need to do because it's not just about me. This is what's best for my wife. It's what's best for my daughter. Uh, and that, that means accepting accountability for my failures, my mistakes, uh, not making excuses, inviting accountability from other men to uh, rebuke me and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I didn't do that until I was, you know, truly 28, 29. Uh, and, you know, I, I, as I was reading the book too, uh, you know, it, that reminded me of kind of that same principle of, you know, that's why like young men are all cocky and really vocal, right? About, you know, especially when you're like playing a pickup game of basketball or something. It's always, it's always the younger guy talking the most crap, right? Um, and really what that is, it's because when you're a younger man, you haven't been tested yet fully. You haven't been through as much life and had as much challenge or adversity that that you've come out the other side and survived in um and so you're instead of having a quiet calm confidence and understanding of the situation it's all bravado and projection and it's really just from a sense of insecurity um you know and so by this point 28 years old i'd been deployed you know i'd been in the army for a long time um, you know i've done all these quote really hard things that the world says are you know that that's what makes a man um but it, you know, it was very one-dimensional. It wasn't this, this, there wasn't any depth to that experience. It made one part of me a man. It didn't make all of me a man. Um, you know, on the inside, I was still a little boy projecting my insecurities. Um, and I didn't, you know, I didn't have all these rites of passage, like you're doing with your sons. Um, my parents divorced when I was 16. It was really messy. Um, and so, you know, I thought, oh, the army is what will make me a man type of thing, right? That, that'll prove that I'm a man. I've led people in, in combat, right? Um, sure, in one in one aspect, um, but you know the rest of me was still a teenage kid, and uh, so there's, it's it's a very complicated question. I don't think there's one true definition in terms of like when you become a man, but I think um, there are some specific elements that it's um, a real man is very holistic in his approach to the world, and he it's you know you're a warrior and a poet, you're the scholar and the fighter, and um, and on top of that, it's kind of like Tender Warrior, right? I really love how he breaks it down into the four elements. Um, and I think that until you get to that point, you're still kind of just a boy uh, in, a lot, in a lot of ways. Um, and especially in our society today, you know, manhood is, is uh, it's shot down. It's not, it's not encouraged. It's not, um, it's not something that young boys aspire to be, right? They don't, it's not, like, I grew up be, like wanting to be an action hero, right? We all had, like, Arnold and all, you know all the action movies and nowadays it's all like all the men are weak and stupid and you know there's there's no like even in pop culture there's no like thing that young boys can look to and be like i want to be that um i want to be an influencer right yeah, yes exactly, exactly. so yeah. like so of course how you know no wonder why like adult men young men who are like in their 20s early 20s today are just floundering around without any purpose because one they've never been encouraged to be more um, and two, they're, they're honestly just terrified of ridicule because if they actually do be, you know, kind of an alpha male or whatever term you want to use, they're, they're going to receive criticism on all fronts. Um, you could lose your job. Yeah. There's a lot of sure, risks. Yeah. To, I mean, you can be you know, canceled, yeah. all, all kinds of stuff. So, and it's working. I mean, uh, average sperm count among American males is half what it was 50 years ago. Testosterone levels are down yeah. 60, 70%. Um, it's, I mean, it's affecting our physiology. It's, mm -hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I rambled a little bit, but, uh, the topic i'm pretty passionate about so it's good yeah. man you just I'll point out what we were already saying like it's the wisdom of god there's um there's certainly some guideposts for everything the lord has laid them out in his word and at the same time there's levels and something i teach my clients all the time you 
where are you on a one to 10? Well, when you start to approach 10, the Lord shows you that the scale goes to a hundred. You start to approach a hundred, the Lord shows you it goes to a thousand. And that's a, that's a blessing. That's a beautiful thing because the Lord builds your influence as you have proven faithful in a season, then the Lord always rewards faithfulness. He keeps perfect books. And as we continue to level up, then he'll bring more responsibility and more privilege of influence ultimately because we're doing what he wants for the reasons he wants it. So Dustin, I want to, I want to flip the question back to you now, now that we've had this pretty lengthy discussion. So what, what do you think, or, you know, when did you become a man or what, what do you think defines that? Hmm. Okay. I, I think it's different for everyone, um, for sure. But uh, for me personally, it was um, the ability to overcome challenges I didn't think I'd be able to overcome. Um, oh, yeah. Sorry. It you was, on that. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But um, I, I think uh, that that was the real key for me was to um, to get over that hill, you know, to um, I was talking to a friend about this last week. He said, um, we as men need to pardon the expression to kill ourselves a little bit sometimes to have that, that feeling that you are um, being challenged. And um, if, if we don't have that, when we're too comfortable, um, our lives are not as rich. It, it's amazing. The rates of depression in this country, right? I mean, we have all the food we could possibly want. Uh, we have all the entertainment we could possibly want. We're never, you know, too cold, too hungry, any of this. And we're miserable, yep. right? How does that happen? We have everything we could possibly want. All of our material need, needs are met. Um, so what are we missing? There's clearly something, you know, that that's not there for, for so many men in our culture. And so the work that you're doing, John Michael is fantastic to, you know, to help bring, uh, meaning, uh, because at the end of the day, if I have meaning and purpose, um, and I'm freezing, I'm much happier than someone who, yeah, absolutely. You <laughs> have good times, create weak men. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm going to be much happier than someone who, you know, has everything they need and, um, you know, doesn't know what to do with it. We're in this age of abundance, um, and our free time is, is being taken by so many areas and it's, it's making us absolutely miserable. I can't tell you how many friends I have who are so unhappy and they have everything. They're, they're rich. Yeah. They've got great kids. Their wives are wonderful and they're, they're miserable. It's, uh, it's something we really are doing our best to address because it's, uh, it's, it's not getting better. Mm-hmm. Right. I think for me personally, well, I think Matt Walsh, Walsh would probably have a good documentary if he went around asking what a man is uh, in comparison true. to his other, other Ooh, questions. Hot but, take, hot take. Yeah. <laughs> um, for me, though, um, a man is someone who endures in the face of all adversity in his life, all misfortunes, all chaos, um, and comes out growing stronger. Um, doesn't give up and just continues to push forward, even if it's one inch at a time and he gets set back 10 feet. Um, you know, I, I've considerably had uh, many examples of that emotionally, mentally, physically, um, where I just felt like I was just in the, the, the lowest of lows and I just kept pushing through, man. And uh, the endurance was what, what got me through it. But I, I think Christ was the other missing puzzle piece for me. Um, you know, I was happy, but I wasn't joyful. Um, and so becoming a man to me is is continuously growing in all facets of life and having the humility and putting the pride and the ego aside to grow um, in all facets where you're weak, where you're strong. Any, I mean, you just have to accept everything and, and, and attack all of it. Um, but most importantly to be, you know, especially if you're, if you're a godly man is to be a, a good father, a, a good son um, and, and a good dad or husband, excuse me. So 
like you said, there's a lot of facets that play into it. But for me, it's just the growth and endurance. Like I, I thought there was a quote um, when there was Shackleton was talking about changing the name of a ship from Polaris uh, to the endurance. Um, it was I think it was Fortitudine uh, Vincimus, which is by endurance we conquer. And man, did they do that? I mean, it, it was the most ironic part of the whole book is that you know, what he was christening his ship with was what they needed the most uh, in their journey. Um, so, yeah, that's to me, there, there's a couple of facets there. But, yeah, that's kind of what I, I feel. So. It's good. Yeah, I, I think as men, it's just absolutely critical that uh, or to become a man, you have to have trial of some sort. And, and the world today is so so risk averse, so yeah. anti-struggle, you know. And, you know, everyone gets a trophy and all this kind of stuff. It, it's, it's just a loser victim mentality, right? And I'm not aiming at you, Dustin, just that, but, um, and yeah, I mean, in, the most successful people on earth, whether it's sports or, a, you know, whatever, 99.9% .9 of them failed over and over and over and they just never gave up and they learned and they kept getting those scars and eventually they became really good at what they did, right? Yes, of course, like, you know, athletes have insane amounts of talent and all that kind of stuff. That's like table stakes, right? But how many super talented people accomplish virtually nothing in their life? There's, you hear tons of stories, right? Oh, number one recruit, then he started doing drugs and his life is in shambles now, right? Like he had the gifting, but he never had the endurance and the, the determination to mm -hmm. resist the, the thing. Anyway, so I think for men especially, right? I mean, all kids need discipline and correction, but boys becoming men, um, the physical element of, of things is just very in tune with us as creatures. And so not mm -hmm. going through some of that, you can be the worst kid on the team, doesn't matter, but having to play a sport and having to push yourself at practice and be tired and sweat yeah. and your shin hurts and, you know, Bobby, you know, called you a name or whatever, like that's, that's a life skill that is going to benefit you for the rest of your life. And, you know, I mean, yeah foregoing that with your children not letting them experience any of that is maybe in the short term feels like you're loving them but honestly you are setting them up for extreme failure and then not having the tools for how to deal mm -hmm. with adult situations because i mean so as you grow physically right your your emotional intelligence is supposed to match it through life experience and teaching mm -hmm. from your parents and coaches and things like that but if they never get those emotional tools, they'll still be a five, six, you know, ten-year-old kid trapped inside that body. And then, what happens if, um, you know, the, a loved one dies, or they have to go through a divorce, or some, there's some horrible life experience, and they're still right. stuck at a, age twelve emotionally, and right. now they have to deal with something that, you know, when they're thirty or whatever that they never learned how to deal with, and that's the first time they're dealing with it. Probably not going to mm -hmm. go so well. So yeah, whatever I, I, I strong strongly believe this, but whatever we don't teach and prepare our children for, the world will brutally do it for them in the wrong way. Yeah. So that's <laughs> yeah. why I'm so persistent about just trying to prep my kid for every everything and every facet of life. Because anything I forget or fail to teach him, the world's going to teach him in their own perverted way, and they're going to do it in a brutal manner. Um, so. I, my responsibility, one of my responsibilities as a dad is to make sure I'm preparing him for that or her for that. So John Michael, question for you. Um, 
when you work with clients, have you had any that have had wives that are resistant to the idea of their husband being a leader, right? That are more mainstream in their ideas that, oh, it should be 50-50 or I'd, I'd rather have most of the uh, the leadership on, on my own. Um, how are you able to work with people like that? Like what, um, what have you seen that situation before and found ways to overcome it? Yeah, absolutely. We've, we've seen a lot of guys. So I've worked with over 120 guys in a, in a really intense capacity. So we've seen the full spectrum from guys who like, man, we're at a nine and we want to go to a 10. Those are always super fun. And cause they, they're the ones who get to find out they go to a hundred. Um, and I've worked with ones who, man, my wife has left me three times in the past four years and she's gone now. So, and everything in between. So it's a real temptation for a lot of women again, because of the spirit of the age and because of their own sinful temptations to grasp for control. And from day one, I just teach the brothers that I'm working with you know, who ask that question, what if my wife won't let me lead? That's another way we put it. And the answer is, brother, good news. Nobody can stop you. Um, no, but she won't do what I tell her. Well, brother, you've just revealed to me you got a really immature understanding of leadership, yeah. which is good news because we're going to help. Um, is there a place for authority and, and actual direction giving? Most definitely. The problem is right now you don't have that kind of leadership capital in the bank. Um, should she follow before God? Absolutely. Is she in sin? Most likely. And yet here we are. So how do we navigate the days ahead? So with those guys, with all my guys, we focus on self-leadership, being the greatest man that this woman has ever known, truly transforming as a guy, not to make mama happy, but because it's what's right, it's what's good, and it's what pleases the Lord. So truly finding ways to look in the mirror, leading ways, looking at ways to shepherd the kids, looking at ways to bless the household that, that don't turn you into the family butler, truly turn you into the family captain. Um, but you serve, I believe in servant leadership only in the way when I say it like this, um, I am using my leadership to serve my family. That is how the king serves the kingdom. You do not need the king washing your clothes. Oh, he's such a servant leader. Uh, bro, could you go lead the freaking nation, please? Um, there's things that you, that's how you serve us is with your role is with your position. So we show family captains what that looks like. And we're building leadership capital. That guy is probably in debt. His wife is afraid. She's fearful. She's anxious. She's probably depressed. A lot of times Christian marriages, unfortunately I'm describing right now. Mm -hmm. And she's fearful. She is exactly what scripture warns her against. You can be like Sarah who called Abraham Lord um, but don't fear anything that is frightening. So there's a challenge to leadership. I think everybody says that's pretty obvious, but there's a challenge to submission for a wife to trust, especially if, if this is her boy husband, John Michael, who hasn't been captaining the ship. He's got some elements that are good. He provides resources. I know he would protect me if the bad guys came, but I still get the sense that I am the one responsible to keep this whole thing glued together. That makes me nervous. So now John Michael's showing up, beating his chest, acting like there's a new sheriff in town. <laughs> no, I'm, she's not rolling with that. Well, should she? Yeah. Yep. But am I gonna? Am I? Am I going about this the wisest way? So in our coaching, Dustin, yeah, we work with brothers and we get in their unique situation. Hey, man, mm -hmm. what's up? What's the deal? What's she pushing back on? Oh, what would she say if you said I'm taking you on a date Friday night and I've already got the kids squared away? Oh, dude, she would say, heck, no, you're not. They can't stay with your parents because blah, blah, blah. Okay, all right. Like, we keep going up river, and we find the solution. Cool. We find where we can start. My clients try to stump me, but they fail. 
because I won't let him get stuck. And we always find a path forward. We find where he can take action. We find where he can take his ownership and, and start to level up again, not with her permission and not trying to trigger her. We're not, we're not going in there teaching her about headship and submission. We're not teaching her anything. We're just saying, making her go, who is that? I haven't seen that guy around here before. That was different. That was new. And so there's a million little things. Rule number one, I tell guys, whenever you want to lead your wife, is stop following your wife. It's funny. A lot of marriages claim they're 50-50. They're not. I know that, and the wife knows that. She is in charge. <laughs> and so on paper, Christian marriages claim to be 50-50. Functionally, they are absolutely matriarchal which is why we tell our dumb jokes. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. I'm in the doghouse. <laughs> I'll be sleeping on the couch. <laughs> I better ask the boss. <laughs> it's funny if it's an actual joke, but we have become the joke. And our wives resent us for it. They don't trust us anymore. And a lot of times in our immaturity, we show up like Saddam Hussein and she's going, this is scary. This is intimidating. Yeah, Because we don't have any wisdom on how to navigate and move things forward. All we know to say is booga booga. And, <laughs> and she's like, uh, you're not that guy. You're not that guy. Um, John, John, what do we call him? I'm that guy though. What What's our nickname for people like that? Melvin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the Melvins out there. I'm sure you're great. <laughs> Man. So I've been using Melvin for years and, and Natalie's like, what are you going to do when you get a client named Melvin? you are like, I'm going to love him. And he's going to have to have a good sense of humor because I'm not my stereotype. Oh, man. I have a less delicate term. They're soy boys or beta males. Right. Yeah. yeah. But, That's man, when, when this has been built, when this is the water we've swum in, this is the air we've been breathing, like we've come to genuinely believe that this is good. Oh, my goodness. She's upset? Clearly, that's evidence that I've done something wrong. Her tears are proof that I've sinned. Pastors have taught that way. Christian men have been made to feel that that's a true statement. She's upset. Obviously, you're doing it wrong, Melvin. If you were doing it right, she would never be upset with you. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So I need to do whatever she wants. Of course, this downward spiral continues. She's in control, which burdens her with the responsibility, which makes her anxious. And at the same time, her respect for you decreases. Oh, that, man, this is complicated. Well... It's, it's the nature of the masculine and feminine. She is going to always test you for strength. And a lot yeah. of times she steps out onto that ice to go, can you really hold me? Right. And we crack and go, no. Yep. And the cycle yeah. continues. Great and guess who that wife doesn't want to sleep with, that, that beta male. Exactly. I don't, yeah. No, 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 Dustin. Yeah. My wife has a low drive. You don't know. It's for, <laughs> my wife has a low drive. It's not about me not being a man. It's not about yeah. me being a yep. rock who can handle her and lovingly put her in her place. It has nothing to do with that, Dustin. My wife just has a low drive. I think she needs to go to the doctor. Yeah, that's all yeah. it is. It's that's not a, about me. That's yeah, you, that couldn't raise, possibly be the case. It's a yeah. really good point you raised because women instinctively um, do BS tests, right? With with everyone, but especially their potential lover. And that's right? a feature. That's not right. a flaw. Right. Mm -hmm. It's it's a uh, because they are generally smaller and weaker. They have to attack the world in a different way they have to test the world in a different way like like you said we just ungabunga our way around with a big old club and hit everything right um women are the polar opposite they're testing constantly um and then pile on anxiety and fear and everything else and then those tests get pretty you know frequent or whatever but um 
if you as a man can have the calm quiet confidence that i was talking about earlier to understand that that's all it is they just they just need that reassurance it's not it's not you you know what i mean it just be steadfast and the tests will kind of answer themselves right you don't have to um play into it right in fact just the opposite if you if you almost bat it off like it it's not a thing that kind of answers the test right uh mm. they're looking for masculinity not a little boy trying to seek approval type of thing sure um the other element too that like you kind of touched on is initially too when when you start trying to better yourself and um, especially if it's in the realm of like working with a counselor or a coach like john michael um, and you start making legitimate uh changes that are going to improve you and your leadership role um your wife is probably going to initially react with hostility right because it's a it's a bs test she's going to test it and be like oh well he's just he's just doing this to manipulate me right so things might actually get worse initially uh if you like if your relationship is really strained um that's like a clinical phenomenon almost always that when one spouse starts making legitimate improvement to try and improve their marriage the other spouse actually gets worse and like reacts harshly to things a lot because they're it's kind of just a human thing where we just assume the worst about that person right now. Total sabotage. So, yeah. So, I feel condemnation. Yeah, I see so you, you leveling again, up and making effort. I feel convicted by that. Yeah. I see you stop eating sugar. Hey, I made your favorite dessert. Right. Yep. Exactly. So put the cookie down, Dustin. Yeah. I'm I'm have, okay with that kind of sabotage. I, you know, it's <laughs> no. Yeah, but you got to have that endurance to push through that, and um, especially as a man, right? So, like, I love how you bring it up. Oh, well, she should do this. Absolutely, she should. But we're here to talk about what you can control, and that's you and your actions. And so, I just love how right up from the front, you you really called that out. Um, because again, we've we've grown up in a society where it's always somebody else's fault. Um, and, and that's just, that's not what men do. Men do not shift blame. Men do not point the finger at someone else. We accept responsibility. Um, and so like with your kids too, if, if you do overreact poorly to a discipline situation, go apologize. Hey, I was out of line in the way that I responded to your misbehavior or whatever, right? The, however old they are, make it right. Um, same thing with your spouse, with your wife. If you are out of line, go acknowledge it, you know, to her. Hey, I was wrong. That that's what men do, men and leaders do, is they they accept that responsibility and they take that authority seriously. Um, you know, little boys, uh, you know, run to mommy or seek to blame someone else or be nefarious about you know escaping the consequences. So yeah, and and the other facet to that is there's there's two things when you start making these leadership changes and you're getting pushback. Consistency has to be there because if you're kind of going back and forth. It's, you're just going to be in an endless cycle of pain. And then yeah. for me personally, like I've seen kids do the same thing when the, when the mom doesn't respect the dad, that the kids start testing the dad as well. And so he loses that leadership with the the children and it's unfortunate, but uh, it's just something. So consistency is, is such a huge part. Um, I just can't, can't express that enough. And then unfortunately a lot of dads don't have, um, solid, good men, tender warriors, as we've discussed previously in other episodes, that they can give sound, godly, good leadership advice. And so they go to these dad groups and these dad groups are like, oh, your wife's cheating, dump her. Or, oh, your wife's not worth it. Just get rid of her and find somebody else, you know, that'll make you happy. 
it's like no you're 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 ditching one hard situation for an even harder situation it's like the advice the worldly advice is just so much worse and they think it's that much better and that's that's what blows my mind like i see guys constantly in these dad groups like oh you need to get rid of her and find somebody that'll treat you good it's like it's really? like what my dad was talking about last week on, on our last episode was, you know, happiness is an emotion. It's a, it's a, a temporal state of mind, whereas like joy is a decision, right? It's a, it's almost like a, a way of life. And like the whole, the whole, uh, you know, follow your heart is like the biggest lie. That's one of the biggest lies that Satan has embedded into the modern world. You're supposed to lead your heart. You don't follow your heart, right? The heart can be tricked. It can be deceived. It's, it's an emotional uh, thing that can be led any way that you feel in the moment like you're just, yeah it's, it's probably just, it's, not your heart you're following it might be a different organ that well, you're, sure, uh, you're right, following yeah. but i mean that's just, it's just ludicrous and I, but like again that's that's where um you know, we've talked about before is you have to go get a company of men a, a a group of men who have sound uh guidance based off of the word and based off of real life experience um and like you know my wife and i when we were in we were living in Texas, and we had a really good small group led by a really old couple. I mean, they were in the late 70s. He had, he had retired. Um, and when I first joined the group, I was like, oh, I don't want to listen to this old guy. You know, like, this is, I don't want to be in this group. And it turned out that he was, like, hands down the best person to, like, call me on my crap. But in a very, de- like, loving way. He's a very loving, gentle guy. It, w- it wasn't, a, you know, a suck it up, George. It wasn't like yeah. that. But, you know, I was ready to, like, quit on our marriage and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Just, redi- you know, I was in my own ridiculous state of mind i wasn't leading my heart or anything Mm -hmm. and uh because i had him in my life to lay it out for me and and bring me down off that precipice um we made it through i mean i have to attribute a lot of my marriage still being intact to to mike i hope you're watching maybe but um praise god yeah i mean yeah it was his 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 godly advice and and life experience in his own life being in his late 70s being able to you know look at the situation holistically and and talk me down right but right. if i would have gone to a bunch of other you know guys at the bar or whatever they would have been like yeah like brandon said oh just leave her she's not worth it or whatever you know what i mean it's like who do you go you know i guess think about it practically if you're looking for uh how to get better at like an instrument or something you're gonna go find a good coach you're not gonna just go to anyone on the street right you're gonna go find like a proven teacher at to get better at whatever task it is so why not do the same when it comes to your relationship, um, the most important relationship <laughs> to your wife? Yeah. You so, have, oh, go ahead, Brandon. I was just going to say. So speaking of good examples of responsibility, um, John Michael, who would who would be a couple that you would give? Well, that's the point I was going to make earlier when George was talking about you know a man takes ownership, a man takes responsibility. My point was obviously we do because the pinnacle of masculinity is King Jesus Himself. So how do we see him do that? Well, God so loved the world that he what? He took ownership for the mess that we made. We did it. We deserved his wrath. We deserved his fury. But instead, Jesus says, I'll take it. I didn't do it. He wasn't guilty of anything. He was innocent, but he still absorbed it. He did the thing that our father Adam failed to do. The first Adam failed. Eve sinned. Adam followed his wife. Scripture literally says, because you listened to the voice of your wife, and because you ate the fruit. It actually says that in your Bible. I didn't write it in there. Go read it. Um, the Lord actually says that. But Adam failed. Adam could have given up his life for Eve right on the spot. God, Eve ate of the fruit. 
I know what has to happen. Yeah, this Kill woman, we would have been saved through Adam. Yeah. That's crazy. That's not blasphemy. That's not heresy because we fell through Adam. We didn't fall through Eve because Adam is the head through one man's sin. And it wasn't Eve. She's not held responsible for our sin. It's through Adam's. But Adam fails us. And then King Jesus, the one who's not guilty, comes through and takes ownership. That's why it's such a manly thing, because we are acting like King Jesus and we're following him. Amen. And then uh, tying back to one of the points I was saying to Dustin earlier, step one in leading your wife is stop following your wife. Because um, a lot of guys are like, I want her. To... Oh, and then I got ranting on matriarchy for a second there <laughs> and how functionally that's how that's how <laughs> operate. Uh, but an example of stop following your wife, like with those clients, sometimes Dustin, we don't necessarily get into here's how to go lead her this week. Mm-hmm. A lot of times we understand that we're on the journey of getting there. But for a lot of these guys, we have to stop following. And that looks like simple little things. Stop following her instruction. Um, you can dress your own children, brothers. You can put clothes on your kids. You're a grown man. They're your children and you can dress them. Those aren't the right pants, baby. They look good. They're all right. And everything's going to be okay. You know, for some guys, that's a starting point. That's a starting Absolutely. point. Yeah. Um, is that mama's jurisdiction? They're my children. So when mama dresses them, mama can dress them. When I dress them, I'll dress them. Now, again, having the wisdom of brotherhood or a coach, in my case, you know, to navigate with you, hang on, you know, how far is she willing to go? How much is she going to double down? We can understand. But we don't do any of our things that we're doing out of cowardice. None of it. 0.0% is because we're scared. It's all because we're using wisdom. And that is a significant mm-hmm. difference. And we don't want to call our fear wisdom. Good point. Oh, I'm, I'm using wisdom here. Are you or are you scared? I'm scared. Mm-hmm. Right. Then mm-hmm. I suggest go both balls in because you're scared. Um, I'm not scared. I'm using wisdom. Praise God. Then we can walk delicately and wisely to navigate this situation for the for the good of everybody. Because like Ernest Shackleton, we're after the ultimate fulfillment of the mission. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. moment is the most important thing. I'm playing the long game and I'm going to win. And when I say I'm going to win, that means she's going to win. That means these kids are going to win. That means awesome. God is going to get glory. That looks like I'm parking the car. And she goes, oh, park over here. And I just drive on past the spot. I don't say, <laughs> I'm a big boy. Don't tell me what to do. I got this. I'm trying to lead. Oh, yeah. None of that. None of that. Right. Like, I'll be the last. That's what I do. <laughs> no, I'll be the yeah. I have a full breakdown at Costco. <laughs> I roll down the window. I recruit old ladies to help me. No. Dustin is so attacked in this episode. It's great. I love it. Dustin, it's time to put those big boy pants on, baby. Hang on, let me get my big boy pants on. I just love it too. I want to maintain so my frame as the lighthouse. <laughs> and I drive past that parking spot with my happy go lucky self. Yep. And she goes, Why are you parking here? And I go, Because I wanted to. You're being a jerk. You're being cocky. Uh, here it comes. Here comes that test right away. You're being, I love you, baby. You ready to go inside? Mm-hmm. I can't believe this. Are you finished? You're being yeah. so robotic. She's going to hit you with anything and everything to try and get you to break. I don't like you being in this lighthouse because why? Because you're being more mature than me. It's obvious to both of us. I need you to cave and fall down into the waters with me so we can be equal again. No, ma'am, that won't be happening. Now, obviously, she didn't say all those things, but it's right. and it's not smug and it's not ha ha nanny nanny boo boo. Look at me being mature. That's not it at all. It's genuine love. It's genuine leadership. It's genuine strength. And she's going, 
on one hand, she's going, what the heck? Ugh. And on the other hand, something inside her going, <laughs> yep. that's a man. Yep. And she's going to continue to experience day after day, week after week, month after month of, that's a man. Yeah, it is. You're sleeping on the couch tonight. I'm sleeping in my bed with my wife, who I love. Are you all right, baby? Do you need a cough drop? Can I get you a glass of water? Like, is everything okay? Um, I'm not backing up. I'm not a little boy in the hot seat. I love you, and I'm going to love you like a husband. And I'm going to be a man who has his own self-respecting boundaries, just like King Jesus. He laid his own life down. Nobody took it from him. Well, I'm just going to lay down my, my life. No, people are extracting it from you and demanding it from you. That's different. They tried to throw Jesus off of a cliff. He didn't let him. They tried to stone him. He didn't let him. They tried to arrest him at a, at a portion of time. He didn't let him. He gave his life as the gift for his mission and for his purpose because it was what was best and it was the right time. But I have hidden in cowardice and gone, well, I'm laying down my life. No, Melvin. No, John Michael. You're afraid to tell people no, and you're pretending you're righteous and virtuous for it. You need to stop, brother. I love you. You can grow out of this, but we need to call it what it is. So that's what it looks like in, in, for a lot of those guys, Dustin, to just step one a lot of times is stop following mama. Uh, it's not even about leading her yet. We'll get there. We're going to keep growing. But step one is stop following. And then we've, we're, we truly get to a 50-50. Truly, let's approach 50-50 for the first time in our marriage. And then from this place, she's going to start to feel the comfort of, wow, I have a covering. And then the last thing was something that Brandon had said. He was referencing the Facebook group. So I'm not in a lot of secular Facebook groups. I don't know if I'm in hardly any, but I'm in a lot of Christian men's Facebook groups. So Brandon, it's funny. I see the uh, another picture where you're seeing guys who are like, um, like leave her. You know, she's trash. She's for the streets. <laughs> uh, there's a time and a place uh, for she's for the streets. By the way. But um, I see the other side of the spectrum in like Christian men's groups where it's just like, Oh, I want to gouge out my eyeballs because there's, I haven't actually seen this post, but here's the joke that I make. Like I fully expect in some of these groups someday for the guy to be like, Hey guys, I've got a difficult situation. I don't know how to handle this. You know, my wife has been hanging out with the neighbor a lot and I know he's a great guy, but you know, they want to have a movie night at his place Friday. And I'm not sure how I feel about this. And they asked me to make them dinner and you know, I'm, I want to make them something nice and show them the love of Christ. But does anyone have any recipe ideas? Like, <laughs> you know, I'm exaggerating here, but make sure it involves sausage. That's it. <laughs> me, I'm just like, sometimes, sometimes I, that's what I see. So a lot of my ranting, a lot of my frustration comes from brothers who need to be told, Hey man, who I've had to be, I've had to break bad news to a lot of my, to a lot of guys I've worked with in the past. And they're like, Hey, this is going on and this is going on and this is going on. And I'm going, Oh, this sucks. Yeah. Hey, Jeff, I know you don't know me and you're not going to believe this. And I hate to tell you this. Your wife is 1000% having an affair. No, 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 no. Jeff, listen to me. And I'll take my time with him. He still won't believe me. It's okay. And I can help him and we can move forward. And that way, Jeff can be the man he's called to be no matter what, because he's not living for a woman. He's living for King Jesus. So. Um, we've got, we've got a lot of, uh, a lot of work to do, but again, the work starts right here. Get the log mm -hmm. out of your own eye, John Michael, and then you can help your brothers and we can move forward. And that's how we're going to do it, guys. It is my goal. I mean, I want to be a part of changing the world. I used to be naive enough to think like, 
you know, and like we talked about as young men, the way you think your ego's involved. Mm -hmm. Um, now I'm going one man at a time. That's how it's done. The Lord started this thing with a family. He's ending it with a family. I see no reason why family shouldn't be dead in the middle. And that's what we're going to restore. We're going to restore men. Therefore we're restoring households. Therefore the world is going to be disciple for King Jesus. That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. I think, and that's a very similar reason why we wanted to start this podcast is to ultimately accomplish the same thing, even if it's just one person, um, yeah, absolutely. one guy out there who benefits from it, then mission accomplished, right? It's, it's yeah. a little thing we can do, but, um, on leadership too, uh, especially if, if you're in a bad situation and you're having to kind of, uh, retake your leadership and, and start working on the path that John Michael was just talking about is just a, a thought to consider is you can't take someone where you're not already going. So you can't lead someone to a place you're not leading yourself to. So in that sense, you know, like John Michael was saying, it's not like you're going to magically go to one counseling session or whatever, read one book and then come home and be like, all right, honey, here's how it's going to be. Boom, 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 boom. And like, you know, mm-hmm. in his case, he called it uh, uh, emotional capital or, or something like that. Leadership, leadership capital. capital. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, you've I'm got a million nine, dollars right? in debt and I'm yeah, coming yeah, in exactly. trying to make a purchase. And sh- no, not only can you not make that purchase. Now there's a $30 penalty. Right. Or even thinking that you were that guy. Yep. So you've got to kind of do a you know 90 degree turn dog leg away from the situation and start going in the right direction. And, um, you know, eventually your wife will uh, want to join you. In some cases, though, you know, if, if, if you're really on the brink of like divorce and whatnot, sometimes they, they reject the improvement. And, uh, you know, that's that's a hard reality is because they don't want to get better. Yes. Um, and, and that was something just in my own marriage too. Like, you know, there were points, my wife and I were kind of like up and down, right? She was the adult. I was the adult back and forth for several years, really rough couple years. Um, but like when I finally put my foot down, I was like, no, I, I'm, this isn't, you know, it's not the he said, she said thing anymore. I'm just going to take responsibility and do the right thing that I, that I know is what I need to be doing regardless of how she acts type of thing. Right. About 28 years old. And, uh, and you know, they, the, my people giving me counsel uh, from different, many different places, um, warned me that hey, look, she may reject this. You know, she may completely walk away from you, and that's that's the risk that you have to take. But ultimately, you know that this is the right thing for you. Um, and that was that was, I mean, that's scary, right? To, to yeah, consider. Um, but you know, I'm glad I didn't let fear rule the day. Uh, yeah. And and I just kept doing the right things. And and. Just to be clear, too, I don't want to like say my wife is some horrible person or whatever, right? That's that's not the situation at all. But, um, you know, relationships are messy; they're tough, especially when you're in the middle of it, right? It's just it's that penny that's right in front of your eye, and so that's all you see, and so the world starts getting really distorted. And when two people are in that situation, it's it's very easy to make bad decisions. So, of um, or or give up on something because of a temporary situation, right? So, anyway, just be aware that that is a possible outcome. Um, and ultimately, you know, doing like what John Michaels talked about of doing the right thing and leading yourself towards um, ultimately where we should be is, is going to work out better for you in the long run, regardless of the temporal situation today. So. Yeah, I've had a few of those, George, where that, that same situation played out where, you know, a guy, a guy's in a crisis scenario and, you know, he starts changing, he starts leveling up. And the promise that I can make him is not what his wife's going to do. I don't know what she's going to do. She gets to cast her own vote, just like Adam did in the garden. He got to cast his own vote. 
Uh, God is perfect, perfect leadership, and we rebelled against it. So I don't know what she's going to do. But in those situations, my promise to him is, brother, you're going to live happily ever after with, you know, Mrs. Clark. But I can't guarantee what her first name is going to be. Um, she gets to decide that. But let's make sure that if she blows this thing up or if you need to walk away from this thing, let's make sure that you are rooted and grounded in Christ. Let's make sure that this never happens again. Let's make sure that she uh, let, let's make sure that everybody who looks into this situation goes, she's lost her mind. And not because they don't know the whole story, but because they know who this man has become. So we really focus in those kind of situations on really helping the brother be strengthened in himself, uh, like the family culture side of things, and protecting protecting his children. That's the other priority in those moments, uh, depending on what the details are. But yeah, that's a hard that's a hard situation, man. Yeah. Well, I I really appreciate you uh, kind of walking through a lot of what you deal with uh in your work as a family captain and i i just love it one i love the, the name it's, it's such a good uh program name i mean you probably couldn't have picked a better <laughs> uh tagline um but you know i just really appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to come here and have this discussion with us today i mean i i was really looking forward to it because the whole topic of leadership is something near and dear to my heart but uh i love the the injection of god's word into it but also um on a practical level that you've given us on just little things, whether it's the, the rites of passage with your sons or little things that you can do um, to demonstrate leadership. Uh, it was just really, really a great time tonight. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, of course. Thank I, you I for having I just, me. I'm happy to hang out with the bros. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I wanted to, good. I wanted to take a, a minute or two and let you just kind of replug um you know what it is you do and I, you said you have a podcast um we can kind of talk about that too and make sure that people are aware of it because i think you've got uh, probably a lot of really good content that people can benefit from yeah so if you guys love the shackleton book like brandon said i've got i did two podcasts on on the endurance book and i loved it so much um i, I had my son on that one with me right mm -hmm. brandon yeah mm -hmm. you did I don't know how, how old he was at the time he might have been 12 maybe 13 but uh, he loves the book too so we had fun with that but yeah, the work that I'm doing through the Family Captain, uh, you can find the podcast, Family Captain Podcast, wherever you like your podcasts. And then the other big place where we're having the party is in the Facebook group. So I have over 30 hours of video trainings, free video trainings there in the Facebook group uh, to help guys level up, to bless them, where you know I'm always bringing something new, something relevant, and keeping those conversations going. And on top of that, I do have, of course, what you've already heard about, the Family Captain Elite. 12 week coaching program. And we've got something underneath that. If guys don't want to make that kind of commitment, if they're not in a place where they're ready for um, that level of growth or that fast track or that financial investment, we also have a monthly subscription that we made accessible to everybody's budget. So the guys can still get more access. They can still get the brotherhood and they can truly get like more of those examples. The how, what the heck does it actually look like on a Wednesday afternoon though? Instead of, you know, man, lover like Christ loves the church. Like, okay, that's good. That's biblical. But yeah. what the heck? Oh, man, you know, just, just be a servant leader. All right. But what do I do? So we really make things yeah. practical so that guys can start to flesh it out and then have the consistency that they need, have the competency coming in so that it's not just our brother-in-law, you know, mm -hmm. telling us what he thought worked one time and uh, really guys able to get mastery. So yeah, the the twelve the elite program though that's 
that's where I love to work with guys because that's where I get to be personal with them, learn their mm-hmm. scenario and give them the custom solutions that they need and get the ridiculous results where households are transformed. And yeah. it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. And, and just to maybe help plug a little bit too, it looks like your latest episode is called Becoming the Man Your Wife Wants to Have Sex With. So uh, on your on your podcast. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm getting ready to drop. So all of the live trainings in the Facebook group are getting ready to drop into the podcast. I'm awesome. having somebody turn all those into audio. Um, so there's about to be a whole bunch more on the podcast dripping regularly out. So uh, yeah, a lot of good stuff there. Fantastic. And, right. and just just for everybody, if you can plug, uh, we'll put it in the description, but but you can also put a banner. It's facebook.com slash the family captain. Okay. And uh, it's a great group. I've been in there, uh, you know, and I've, I've watched all these videos and just just seen how much God has has done through John Michael and um, how much he's grown. And, and look, man, brother, I'm proud of you, man. Keep on uh, keeping on with that. So thank you, Brandon. I uh, appreciate you, brother. Yeah, man. Pray for you often, for sure. Uh, closing thoughts, guys. Anything else we want to say before we, we cut it? That's I'm excited great. to try some new stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to put some levels together. I'm going to I'm going to look at, you know, what uh, what what steps are going to be. You know, I'm, I'm going to have some challenges set up for my son. I'm, I'm, I'm getting pumped thinking about the different stuff I'm going to do with him. This is going to be a really fun bonding experience. I love it, dude. Action, baby. Imperfect action. That's why I tell the guys all the time. Like, we're not just needing to learn more theory. Go mm-hmm. freaking do something. So yep. I love hearing that, Dustin. Yeah, Make absolutely. Guys, hold me accountable to that. In a month or so, be like, hey, what, what happened with all that stuff you said you were going to do? Did you actually do it or you just say it? So yeah, let me <laughs> Dustin, follow up with me. Your little guy's yeah. two. Is that what I remember? He's two, yeah. Mm-hmm. Dustin's going to be like, at two and a half, I expect. <laughs> He's gonna have He'll be dunking a basketball. And By if the you time you're three. To be fair, he might actually be dunking a basketball by the time he's three. He's really big, so we'll see. <laughs> he, I saw him in your lap earlier when we were backstage. He, yeah, he is big... huge for a two-year-old. Holy smokes. Yeah. You must get really tired doing the whole, like, you know, pick up your toddler thing. Cause my gosh. So he's, my, he's a my big mom boy. and my wife's mom have both injured their back picking him up this year because he's so big. <laughs> they weren't ready for it. He's 40 pounds mm. of just what? brute muscle. So Nice. Yeah, Dang, he almost weighs as much as my daughter, man. He's a big kid, yeah. My so daughter's geez. seven. Yeah. Holy shnikes. Yeah. So a lot well, of pro, my- pro athlete in the making right there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's going to yeah, get real funny. trophies. Yeah. Just, yeah, he'll have a real trophy. He's going to actually earn his. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Most definitely. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I could say um, – for dads that are struggling, uh, I want to encourage you guys, um, you know, keep checking us out. We'll keep trying to grow together. Uh, we'll give you guys as much resources as we can. Um, invest in yourself. And if, if you need it, go to the family captain. Uh, I can't tell you how many testimonials I've seen on that group uh, that the guys have their lives have just done a complete 180 uh, better sex lives, which is alone worth the investment. Uh, and then, you know, all the things that they're doing as far as leaders of their household, like when you actually lead your household and your children respect you, your wife respects you and there's harmony in your house, like that is the pinnacle of life, man. That's that's the pure joy that you get to experience. But you don't experience it without the hard work and the investment. So you got to invest in it. So I, I definitely recommend join the group, uh, get into one of the programs. If, if you can't afford the bigger one, you know, like he said, he's got a monthly subscription. Go for that. It's 
it's it's it's amazing. I've seen a lot of the, the information there, and it's all flawless. It's it's wonderful. So thank you again, John Michael. Uh, George, did you have anything else before we? Yeah, just a couple of closing things. Uh, one point I forgot to mention at the beginning. Justin unfortunately was not able to join tonight because he's currently traveling uh, with his family to visit Brandon for Thanksgiving. So um, had to chalk that one up to travel yet again. So uh, Justin was here in spirit. He actually left a really good comment earlier on that we. Uh, highlighted but he's sorry he couldn't be here but uh he'll be there for the next one and uh john michael again just thank you so much uh i really loved i think um right away how you demonstrated the confidence and um the clear vision for what it is you do and you immediately went off on topics that i think most men today are scared to talk about um right from the beginning of the episode and to me that speaks authenticity in what you do and that your message is pure so uh, that really stuck struck me right away. Um, not necessarily any of the specific points you talked about, but that you didn't shy away from, uh, you know, a potential tough conversation because ultimately you know it's right, um, and that's what men need to hear. So uh, again, you're putting leadership in action right there, and uh, just really appreciate everything you talked about. I will definitely be listening to a lot of your podcast. Um, really excited to get, dive into those myself. And um, that's pretty much it. We don't really have a plan next topic. Uh, we'll discuss as a team here and put that out. Uh, we know the holidays are coming up. December's pretty crazy month usually for everyone. So we may take a hiatus uh, as the Present Fathers podcast, but uh, stay tuned. We will uh, post something to the channels um, when we have a confirmed date and uh, next topic of discussion. And with that, uh, I think John Michael has one final thought, and we'll wrap it up from there. Yeah, I just want to encourage all you guys out there a lot of times we've been sold the idea that we have multiple missions in life. You got this, you got to check in at work. You got to check in with the church. You got to check in here and there and everywhere. I got to check in as a husband. I got to, I got to clock in as a father. And I just want to point you to the bigness of the high calling of family leadership. This is the freaking thing, dude. And when you get into it, it's dope. I know some of you are listening tonight and you're just hearing exhaustion as you're listening. You're like, Oh, now I gotta, Brother, when you flip this switch to see the, the 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 big picture that this is your garden, bro, we may be a cog in a wheel in this factory. We, we may be a cog in a wheel in this corporation. We may be a cog in a wheel in a lot of places. This is a place where you get to be a king, not in the egotistical sense or a tyrannical sense, but this is the place where you get to rule for the glory of God. And it is freaking incredible when you give yourself over to it. The, the garden that you tend you get to eat all the good fruit that comes out of it. I touched on that earlier, but I want to just remind you, there's so much goodness here. It's not another silo that you have to show up for. This is the base for all of operations that come out of your life. You are the CEO of all of this, and it touches on all these other things as the Lord expands your influence. So be faithful in household. Be faithful in husbanding. Be faithful in fatherhood. Be faithful as a man, and the Lord will expand your influence into all these other lesser and secondary things. That's perfect Amen. way to finish it. I love that. That's Amen. a great way of framing it. So, uh, John Michael, again, just thank you so much uh, for taking the time with us tonight. This is a really good episode. I uh, really love the content. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. So, thanks, guys. Thank y'all. Thanks for watching this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Please be sure to like this video, subscribe to our channel, and turn on notifications so you can know when we go live next. Also be sure to check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and our Discord channel. It's our desire to grow this fathership together and support dads out there. If you think this channel would be beneficial to someone you know, please share it with them. 
We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.